Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I'm your host, Todd Dandruff-Wittellis. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on January 4th, 2024. The time right now is 11.56 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So it's almost being recorded on January 5th, but we started four minutes before the day rolled over. So this is a new year of Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the 13th calendar year that we have done this show. We've not been on for 13 years. In fact, we haven't been on for 12 years. But the way this is the 13th year is because we started in March of 2012. And if you count up, that's 13 different calendar years. But our 12th anniversary will be on March 2nd. So we have been at this a long time. We're nearing 500 episodes When we get there, I will do a special show of some kind, but I haven't decided yet. And I know these shows have been taking longer and longer to appear in between one another. Basically, when we do one, then it's very long, and then it's a while until the next one. And that's just kind of the way it's been recently. And, you know, I'll try to bring it closer to two weeks, but no guarantees. Anyway, we do have a lot of things to talk about. A few big things have happened. Fortunately, most of the big stories have been recent. So most of the time that we weren't on, because we finished the last show on December 13th, so it's been a while. But most of that time, there really wasn't much happening. And then in the last, I'd say, week or so, there's really been a lot of activity. So fortunately, most of the topics will be pretty new anyway. A few of them will be a bit old, but most of them will be pretty new and recent. So that did work out. I did just get back from Las Vegas. I'll tell you about my time there. I also have some news about Poker Fraud Alert itself and some personal news about my colonoscopy. If you remember, I was going to get one and I did. So I'll tell you about those things. We don't have a free roll tonight. I forgot to announce the show in advance and It's so late, I didn't think anyone would be around to play a free roll. At least not enough people. So we're going to save the money. We'll do it next time. So no speech about the whole free roll, but it will happen again, presumably next show. If you want to call, we do have our phone lines open. 775-FRAUD-55 is the number. 775-372-8355 is how that breaks out. And you can text me at that exact same number, anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Don't call when we're not live on the air, because I won't answer. I only answer that during the show, but I will answer texts at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can text me, never too late, never too early to text me. So anything on your mind, you can always text me, 775-372-8355. If I'm live on the air, make sure to mention that... You don't want the text read mentioned at the beginning of the text. So if you don't want that publicly read, if you text me on the air, then I won't. Otherwise, I might. But if you text me off the air when I'm not live, then I will not read it. The call to listen line is still around. It has been listened to by many, many people. Millions of minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line. It's very simple. You just call up a phone number and you listen. It doesn't require a smartphone, doesn't require a data plan, doesn't require an app. It does not require a computer or the internet or even a good cell signal. All you need is any phone that can dial a number in the U.S. 
and you can call it and you can listen. It'll never buffer. It'll never freeze. That's my guarantee to you. That phone number is 518-931-1189, 518-931-1189, the call to listen line. And it is free if you can call the U.S. for free. Unless you have T-Mobile, then they will charge you one cent per minute, which I don't get. I wish I did, but I don't get it. We have the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston just got snow. It basically had no snow, but it finally got snow on January 3rd, so that's nice to see. But that is a separate phone number into the show. You cannot text it, but you can call it. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. The Mount Charleston line, an old 70s rotary phone, which sits on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I go. If you want to catch the show in podcast form, which is what most of you do who listen, most of you do not listen live, you can find it in many places. Most notably, we are on YouTube now. We've been on YouTube since early September. And every new show that I do gets posted up there and stays up there. I've been posting every show we've done since September of 2023. And I prefer you use YouTube to listen to it because eventually I will get monetized. So please go over to YouTube and at the very least subscribe to the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube channel. It's very simple. Just youtube.com slash at Poker Fraud Alert. That's the at symbol. YouTube.com slash at Poker Fraud Alert. Please subscribe. That will help me a lot. And also, if you can listen there, that will be good as well. And for the moment, I don't believe there's any ads on there because we're not monetized yet. Now, once we get monetized, then we'll have ads up there. Won't be my ads, but it will be ads from YouTube, which then in turn will make me some money. So that'll be nice. But at the moment, it's not monetized. But if you subscribe and if you listen on there, I will get there sooner. And I do project that sometime in 2024, I will be monetized hopefully sooner than later. And hopefully then finally this show might actually generate a little bit of money. So that's not the reason I do it, but it would be nice. If you want to catch the show in other places, you can do so on iTunes, Google Podcasts, the TuneIn app, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Bullhorn, CastBox, Amazon Alexa, just say Alexa Play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast, Audible. So we're on a lot of different apps where you can listen to the show. You can also download or play an MP3 file of the show. You can find links to all of these if you go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. Just scroll down a bit and you will see all the different little icons to click to go to the different listening options. So a lot of ways I give you to listen, but I prefer you use YouTube because YouTube will eventually get me monetized. So here's the agenda, and then we'll get going. I have some news about Poker Fraud Alert. You may have noticed on December 31st, the site was completely down for a lot of the day. I'll explain what happened there. And also, you may have been having some trouble with the live radio player which also serves as the radio player for our streaming reruns, because when we're not live on the air, then reruns just run 24-7. And some people have had trouble with the player on that radio page lately. And I addressed it a few shows ago and told you some things to do with with, uh, some browser settings. Well, I decided, let's throw that out the window. Let's just fix this and make this into a big boy site. 
because I don't want to have you start messing with your browser settings to get this radio player to work. It's stupid. I decided that was a stupid piece of advice I gave you. Even if it's not going to hurt anything, I just felt that it was not the proper way to approach things. So I took the time and fixed the radio player. So I'll explain all that. Then I'll tell you about my colonoscopy. I did have a colonoscopy, my second one in my life. In December, I'll tell you how that went. Remember the first one, some polyps were found, including some pretty dangerous-looking polyps. So I'll tell you how the second one went. Then we have our two big topics. There's been a lot of controversy in online poker over the past two weeks or so. GG Poker had a super user. Yeah, it actually had a super user. That is a user that can see whole cards. This one couldn't quite see the whole cards, but could see something pretty close to that. That's almost as good, so I'll explain it. But GG Poker did have a super user, and of all things, the name of the super user, at least the one that was caught, was MoneyTaker69. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll tell you about MoneyTaker69 and how deep I think this really goes, and how I feel about GG Poker's response to this. I will give you the whole story. Then we have our ACR topic, which is ongoing. Some of this just happened tonight. Some of this is very new and fresh. So I'm going to catch you up to everything. But ACRs had a pretty rough two weeks. First, they had a major crash shortly before Christmas. And now there's been an exposure of a bot ring that allegedly took $10 million of profits from the site, meaning from the players. And then there's been some bad PR attempts to address these issues by ACR. And one of them was tonight. So I will play you both of the PR attempts and we will talk about all of that. ACR is not handling things well since late December. Phil Galfond hired Justin Bonomo as a run-at-once coach. He quietly announced it and then controversy ensued, as you would expect, and Phil addressed it. So I will talk about that. I'll read you Phil's statement. I will give you my opinion. And I'm sure you'll have your opinion as well. Munker Guy, who's known as a creator of a solver tool called the Munker Tool, he has found himself in controversy after he was accused of stealing cryptocurrency which was accidentally sent to him. So he didn't go out looking to steal, but cryptocurrency landed in his lap, basically, and he decided to keep it. And he fell under massive fire on social media, including from me. So I'll tell you about the Munker Guy situation, and I will also tell you who Munker Guy is, because nobody knew who he was until this whole thing blew up. Then we have this weird story of an obscure Michigan poker pro named George Jansen. You probably haven't heard of him. But he claims that he had been extorted for the last two years of $2 million because the extortionists were aware that he was winning poker tournaments. And he was found on the road with his hands zip-tied and claimed that he had been kidnapped for quite some time, like two months, and that he had gotten away. But is this a true story? I will tell you George Jansen's story, and we will analyze whether it is likely true or likely made up. Then we will go back to December, 
going to tell you one more story about WSOP Paradise, a pretty big fail there, where $10 million of extra chips was sent over to a player in the main event, three-handed, who shouldn't have gotten them. Basically, one player beat the other, and one got $10 million too many chips from the other. It's crazy. So I'll tell you about that disastrous fail at the final table, which I don't think has gotten enough press, to be honest. Hustler Casino is closing all their safe deposit boxes. In fact, I had one there, and it was closed. That's how I know. So I'll tell you why it happened. I will tell you what Hustler is saying about it. And I'll tell you about some weird things that are going on involving that and involving their notification of people, some of which I still don't understand. Controversial poker pro Sean Perry made the final nine at the $9.3 million Circa Survivor Contest, the same contest that we entered and got fairly deep, but not super close to cashing. But he got down to the final nine and refused to do any kind of deal or chop. So what happened after that? I will tell you. John Letskis, who is an occasional poker player, he's not a poker pro, he's not someone really part of the poker world, but he has played poker and he has cashed a few times. He was arrested in Las Vegas for firing 70 shots in the air from the MGM Signature Condos. So I'll tell you about that bizarre story. A man trapped himself in an elevator in a Pennsylvania casino after a losing session when he was so mad he was thrashing the elevator door, which caused the whole thing to get stuck. It's not a good idea to do. You should keep your hands off the elevator, but I'll tell you more about that when we get to that topic. And finally, I made it down to the Fountain Blue. I saw the Fountain Blue. In fact, I saw a part of the Fountain Blue that just about nobody else has seen. I've gotten to see the unfinished 70th floor, which is the highest regular floor out the Fountain Blue. So I'll tell you about my impression of the Fountain Blue and of the unfinished 70th floor. So that is our agenda for tonight. Let's get started, because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. First of all, I want to tell you about some poker fraud alert news and get all that out of the way. Some of you have had problems with the live radio player. When I say live, I don't necessarily mean the live show. I mean, if you use the radio player for either the live broadcast or the streaming reruns, some of you go to that page and just can't get it to work. It'll say something like network error. And I had advised you previously to go into the Google Chrome settings and to tweak something, and I told you it was safe to do, which it is, but I decided that's not the right way to be running a website or a radio show, so I decided to fix it. So basically what this came down to, I don't want to get into a whole technical discussion, but basically what this came down to was the fact that the radio page and the radio player was not broadcasting on the secure HTTPS protocol. It was on HTTP. Now, that was on purpose because it was a lot harder to get it to work through HTTPS. Now, it doesn't need to be secure. It's just a stream. It's just a public broadcast stream. So who cares about the security? However, the problem is most modern browsers, including Chrome, are starting to complain about things like that when a page like that is not secure or when it's known as mixed content where part of it is HTTP and part of it is HTTPS. So the bottom line is 
for a lot of people, it just didn't work. And you'd have to go tweak things in the browser settings to make it work. So I decided, you know, it's high time I finally just make this broadcast on HTTPS and HTTP if you already have that bookmarked or whatever. I need that to work too. But I need to make sure there is an HTTPS broadcast that will work for the live listeners and for anyone wanting to listen to the streaming reruns. So I put a little work into it, and now it has been changed. Now it has been fixed. So if you've been having problems with that radio player on the radio page, that should work for you now. You may have to press the little play button on it. You'll see it has like a play and a stop button. So if you need to press play to get it work, that might be the case. But once you do that, it should play. If it doesn't, please let me know. Someone had contacted me that they had a lot of trouble with that page, and I asked them after I did these changes if it worked for them, and they said yes. So that's a good sign. But if you still have trouble with that page, either for live listening or streaming reruns, and you press the play and it doesn't work, please let me know. Text me at 775-372-8355. Then we had some site downtime. This was on December 31st. It's a nice way to end the year. At about 2.30 p.m. Pacific time, the site went down, and it went down really hard. For about an hour before that, it was starting to act sluggish and just not work very well, and then it just completely crashed. I mean, the hardest of hard crashes that the site's ever had. And the reason I say that is because it was just completely unreachable. And I attempted to power cycle it, meaning turning it off and back on, and that just made things worse. It couldn't even boot up. So it turned out it had a hardware problem, and this had to be fixed. And I was not physically with the equipment. In fact, I'm never physically with the equipment. The equipment does not run out of my house. I'm basically leasing space. So the provider of the server space for Poker Fraud Alert had to go fix it. And this was on December 31st. And by the time I reached them, it was at night. So this was not easy to get fixed quickly. They finally did get it online right around 9 p.m. Pacific time. And now it works well again. So that's why it was down for several hours. I was afraid we were going to have a few days of downtime. At first, they were telling me they were not sure how extensive this hardware failure really is. But fortunately, it wasn't that bad, and they were able to get it going. There may be some downtime in the coming week or so, because it's only got like a temporary fix going on right now. So to ensure this doesn't happen again, something else may need to be replaced. I won't get into all the details, but if it goes down again, that will be why, but that'll be planned. Whereas this was, of course, unplanned. It just was very unfortunate to learn about. And I was not even in a place where I could do much about it because I was in Las Vegas with my family and we were out doing things. So I wasn't even by my computer nor could I be. So I just had to kind of deal with it until uh, I got back to the hotel. And even in the hotel, there wasn't much I could do because I could not connect to the site at all. And I had to get a hold of the support for the Poker Fraud Alert host and had to have them look into it from a hardware perspective because I could tell this was a crash that was 
beyond anything I've seen before from Poker Fraud Alert. So that was unfortunate, but it came back faster than I thought. So it actually was down only a little more than six hours, though it felt a lot more than that. But if you could not reach the site on December 31st, that is why. But for the moment, it's working. Okay, so let's move on to talk about my colonoscopy. If you remember, almost three years ago, I had my first colonoscopy, and I was almost 49 years old. This was in January of 2021. I have a history of colon cancer in my family. I have a history of colon polyps on that same side of the family. My grandmother on my dad's side passed away when I was one year old, so I don't remember her. I see pictures of me with her, but I obviously don't remember her. And she died in 1973 of colon cancer. Now, there wasn't really anything she could have done to prevent this, because there was no such thing as a colonoscopy in 1973. It had not been invented yet. So she was out of luck. She just got the bad luck of colon cancer, and it killed her at a fairly young age. Unfortunately, this is very hereditary. And my dad, her son, he got a colonoscopy in the 90s, and he was in his 50s at the time, and they found several polyps in him, including some that looked pretty bad. None of them were cancerous, but some of them were precancerous, and one of them in particular looked like it was getting near turning cancerous. So it was fortunate he got that colonoscopy, otherwise there's a good chance he would not be here today. Well, I knew that there was a decent chance that I would have the same issue, because it passed down to my dad, and even though my mom's side of the family never had any colon cancer or colon polyp issues, and my mom's colonoscopies always came back 100% clean, so she just doesn't have the gene for that to happen, my dad obviously does, so the chance of me having that sort of thing was about 50-50. Well, I found out in 2021 that I fell on the wrong side of that because my first colon polyp, at my first colonoscopy, it was found that I had four polyps. The worst of the four polyps was very large, as at the very end of my colon, and it was known as tubulovilus, which is kind of like a middle-stage precancerous polyp. So that's not good to have, especially when it's very large, which this one was. So that one had a pretty decent chance of turning into colon cancer had it been left there, had I not gotten that colonoscopy. So if I had not done this, then there is a decent chance that I would not have made it past like 55. So that was very good that I got that done and that this was taken out of me so it would not be a problem. There were three other polyps. Another tubular villus, one which wasn't as big. Another adenoma polyp, which was tubular, which isn't quite as bad, but still an adenoma. And the fourth one was a polyp which was benign, which was called hyperplastic, one that was not an adenoma at all. But that wasn't a very good result for me, for my first colonoscopy. At least I didn't have colon cancer, and at least I did not have any cancerous polyps. But a few of them looked pretty bad, especially the big one. My dad has had polyps every single time he's gotten a colonoscopy, and he gets them often for that reason. 
So I figured that the chance of me having colon polyps for the rest of my life, every single colonoscopy is pretty high. In fact, after what was found last time, I figured that the chance of having no polyps found was zero point zero. I went back to the same doctor as I had the previous time, and this doctor is a female doctor. She switched medical groups, so it was a new office, a new facility, but not the same group, and it was the same doctor, though. And I did that, number one, because I was happy with her, and number two, for continuity. Well... I almost screwed up my prep, which is funny because the first time I was so diligent about the prep, there's all these things you have to be concerned with leading up to the colonoscopy. For example, you can't take aspirin for a week before the colonoscopy, which is very tough on me because I had a lot of headaches, which really only respond to aspirin. Like Advil doesn't work for them. Tylenol doesn't work for them. Aspirin does work for almost all of them. But you're not supposed to take aspirin for the seven days prior to the colonoscopy. So in 2021, I adhered to that. And in 2023, I did not. I just, I wasn't thinking of it. So I took aspirin all the way up till two and a half days before the colonoscopy when I realized my mistake. Oops. What happens if you take aspirin? Well, if they remove polyps, it can end up causing a lot of bleeding because aspirin thins the blood. So I was worried about that. Then I also had some prohibited food and drink, whereas in 2021, I was very good about not eating or drinking stuff that they tell you to stay away from, starting like five days before the colonoscopy. This includes anything that has red or orange dye in it. This includes any fruit with seeds in it. So I was very good at staying away from that stuff. The first time around, but for whatever reason, this time, again, I made some mistakes. I had a can of orange soda about uh, two days beforehand. I had some gummy bears, of which some were red and orange, a little more than the day beforehand. I had a tomato about two and a half days beforehand. So I was worried about all this. I was worried, like, maybe... I messed all this up, and maybe I should just call them and cancel it. Felt stupid, but like I kind of thought that this could be a problem. The red and the orange, it can end up looking like blood is the problem when they're looking in your colon. So they want to make sure that uh, if they see bleeding, it's really bleeding. So now, none of these were obvious like showstopper things where you know for sure you've messed up. So for example, with the gummy bears, eating gummy bears like a little more than a day before is actually fine. The problem is the red and the orange ones. Those ones you're not supposed to eat because they basically turn to liquid in your stomach and can look like blood. So it was only the red and orange ones, but there just wasn't much volume to it, though. Like, I didn't eat that many gummy bears, and only a few of them were red or orange. So, like, was that really enough to cause the problem? And as far as the orange soda, that was like two days before the colonoscopy. So, you know, is that going to really matter? And the aspirin, that was two and a half days before, so I know they say seven, but is this really going to matter? So I wasn't sure, and it's very hard to reach this office. This office is terrible with answering the phone, and if they do answer the phone, you can never get someone meaningful on the other line to talk to you. So I kind of just had to ask 
around, ask doctors I knew and consult the internet, and I decided to go forward with it. Then I had something else weird going on, and that was the prep instructions were different this time than last time, which made no sense to me, because this is with the same doctor. It's one thing if you're with a different doctor who does things differently, even though good prep should be good prep. But you could say, okay, maybe one doctor prefers it one way and just doesn't want you to do it the other way for whatever reason. But this is the same doctor three years later. So how could the prep be different? Well, it's because it's a different group. And for whatever reason, at this group, because it's a number of doctors there, they came up with a different prep. But I didn't like the instructions for the different prep. And in fact, some of them didn't make sense. The instruction that bothered me the most was telling me that I cannot drink after midnight when my colonoscopy was at 9.30 a.m. Now, my big problem with this was that these instructions were not custom for me. This was like a generic page of instructions they gave me, which they give to everybody. So the person having the colonoscopy at 7 a.m. gets the same instructions as those getting a colonoscopy at 10.30 a.m. Now, why does that matter? Because they, when they say not to drink after midnight, how is that the same for the person who has it at 7 a.m. versus 10.30 a.m.? That's three and a half hours difference. So if the 7 a.m. colonoscopy shouldn't drink after midnight, shouldn't that mean that the person with a 10.30 a.m. colonoscopy should be able to drink up till at least 3.30 a.m.? So I called them and tried to ask about this, and I couldn't get a meaningful answer. They just kept saying, well, the instructions say don't drink after midnight. I'm like, yeah, but these are generic instructions. How can you say that when certain people have it early and certain have it late? Like, what's the latest time I can drink? And they said, well, as it says, midnight. (laughs) And I felt like saying to them, like, this isn't the story of Cinderella where I drink water and it turns into a pumpkin after midnight. There's nothing magical about the midnight hour. It should be a certain number of hours before the procedure. Now, the reason they tell you not to drink after that time is because they don't want liquid in your stomach when you get put under with the propofol and have that liquid come up and you choke on it. So that's a good reason. That's something I definitely wouldn't want to have happen. But at the same time, it's very difficult to go a lot of time without drinking anything. It's way easier to go without eating time. So, like, I had no issue not eating for the 24 hours before the procedure, and I didn't. I followed that very well, 24 hours before. In fact, more than 24 hours before, I didn't eat anything. You actually can eat certain things like jello, but I didn't even do that. I just ate nothing. Like, that's no problem for me. But the drinking is very tough. So I wanted to know when is the very last time I can drink water. And they kept saying midnight. I kept saying to them, this makes no sense. My procedure's at 9.30. There's people who have procedures two and a half hours earlier than me. So why can't I have water later than those people? And I could not get a coherent answer. Like They weren't even understanding me when I was asking this question. I phrased it like five different ways. They couldn't understand it. The other thing that was weird was that last time I was instructed to do what was known as a split prep, where basically... You mix Gatorade and Miralax, and this is the prep known as the Gatorade prep, by the way. This is not the one that involves that really, really awful solution, which makes, like, 
a lot of people just cringe. It's just so awful to drink. The taste is like really, really terrible. I never had it, but that's kind of the older way of doing things. But the Gatorade thing is something that they realized about 15 years ago works just as well. The Gatorade Miralax prep, and it's much more pleasant because the taste isn't bad because Miralax has no taste. It changes the consistency of the Gatorade a bit, but aside from that, it doesn't change the taste. So it's way more pleasant to do that. So anyway, this prep, last time I was advised to do half of it, 32 ounces, and then wait several hours, and then actually wake up in the middle of the night and complete it with the other 32 ounces. And that's what I did. Well, this time they just told me to drink the whole 64 ounces and then just go to bed at midnight and stop drinking. I thought, well, this is weird. So I looked that up online and they were claiming online that the split prep is actually better, that both are valid methods to prepare, but that the split prep gets better results. So I said, you know, I should do the better one. I should do the one that is more effective, especially because it is really no harder than the other, aside from having to get up to do it. So I decided just to ignore these more recent instructions and just do it the same way I did last time. Because when I did the prep last time, the doctor complimented me and said the prep was great. So since it's the same doctor, since she was very happy with the results of my prep last time, I'm just going to do it like last time I said. I didn't say that out loud to them, but that was what I decided for myself. But I did want to know about the whole water thing. Last time they told me I could drink all the way up to four hours before the procedure. And I did. But I was concerned, like, maybe that was too close. Even if they said it was okay, maybe that was risking that I could end up choking while I was put under by the propofol. This would be the last thing I'd want to have happen. So I really wanted to make sure this was okay. So it was so hard to get an answer out of them on the phone about the latest time I could drink. And finally, they told me four hours. I'm like, well, okay, if it's four hours, why are you telling everybody they can't drink after midnight? Because nobody has a procedure beginning at 4 a.m. So why don't you just say X number of hours before the procedure? And they said, well, the four-hour window is actually for the afternoon procedures. For the morning, it's midnight. (laughs) And I'm like, what? What? Like, why does this matter when your procedure is? Your body doesn't know that. Your body isn't like, okay, well, it's not dangerous to drink four hours before the procedure if it's in the afternoon, but it is if it's in the morning. Like, that wouldn't make any sense. So I was asking them what the difference is, and they couldn't explain it to me. They just kept saying, well, the morning people can't drink after midnight. I'm like, okay, forget it. Thank you very much. Goodbye. So I decided I'm just going to drink up to four hours beforehand. Well, when I got there, there were some good and bad news. The good news was they didn't seem to care about any of the screw-ups I did during the prep. They all felt that this was not a big deal. The orange soda, not a big deal. The tomatoes I ate, not a big deal. The aspirin, even that was not a big deal. The gummy bears, not a big deal. Like, I told them everything. And they said, oh, that's not a big deal. It's fine. It'll be fine. They said the aspirin, that'll make a small, slight difference in the risk you have of bleeding. But even if that happens, there's a way to fix it. So don't worry about that. So I felt good. But then the anesthesiologist was very, very unhappy when he heard that I had last drank at 5.30 a.m. Now, keep in mind... 
They were running way behind. They were very, very late for some reason that day. So I was on time. But my procedure, instead of starting at 9.30 a.m., started at like 10.45 a.m. And I was just sitting there. I was sitting there in the bed waiting for them to start. And I was waiting, 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 waiting. Fortunately, I had my phone, so I wasn't totally bored. But it just wasn't getting going. And, you know, when Tom Petty said the waiting's the hardest part, that was actually very true here. I just couldn't wait for it to get going. <laughs> but anyway, I heard from the guy before me that the anesthesiologist was asking him when he last consumed any liquid. And the guy didn't give a very clear answer. So then the anesthesiologist stopped him and said, well, did you drink anything after midnight? And the guy said, uh, no, actually I didn't. And he said, okay, that's good. So you you're sure you drank nothing after midnight, right? And the guy said, yeah. So I'm like, oh boy. This anesthesiologist is not going to be happy when he hears that I drank at 5.30 a.m. Like, he's obsessing over midnight, and here I had it something five and a half hours later. So when it came time for me and the anesthesiologist approached, and we were talking, I told him about the whole thing with drinking at 5.30. And he was very unhappy about this. And I told him that I called and asked about this, and that they eventually told me I could drink up to four hours before. So he didn't argue with me, but I could tell he was very unhappy about it. And keep in mind, this is more than four hours now, because they were late. This was now well over five. But he was quite unhappy about it. And then I heard him telling someone else that uh, someone else in the office that I didn't follow instructions. Someone here didn't follow instructions. He drank after midnight. I, I heard him saying this to somebody else. So then he came back and told me that they're going to remove the liquid from my stomach. And I asked, well, how are you going to do that? Like, that sounds unpleasant. I said, was this going to be after or before I'm put under? He said, it's going to be after. And he kind of explained, like, it's going to come out of my ass. I I don't know how that was going to work. But somehow he claimed it was going to be forced out that way. And not by putting a tube through my throat. But I I don't know how they did it. I'm just kind of curious, thinking back to this, how they did it. But he did tell me that they're going to have to do that as an extra step they have to do. And he was unhappy about it, I could tell. Now, I think the biggest reason he was unhappy about this was because they were already running late, which of course isn't my fault. Like, how's that my problem that they're running 75 minutes late? But I think the last thing they wanted was to have to take the extra time to do this, but too bad, you know. I don't know, maybe next time I should do the afternoon because I do not want to have to go nine and a half hours or even like seven hours without drinking, especially when they tell the afternoon people that they don't have to. Now, I thought about it afterwards, and I think I came up with an explanation. It seemed like their instructions, they had like one set of instructions for the morning people and one set for the afternoon. I think these were aimed at working people rather than poker degenerates like myself. So I think they were just trying to make it overly simple. So like they assumed that you're not going to be able to stay up all night. So they just assume you're going to go to bed sometime around midnight. So they just say, okay, don't drink after midnight. And that's like their generic instruction. Obviously, the people in the afternoon, that's too long to ask them not to drink. So for those people, they say they can drink up to four hours before. And I think what they do is they schedule extra time for those people to get the liquids out of their stomach if they do drink, like, you know, four hours, five hours before the procedure. So they kind of build that into the time expected to take 
were in the morning, they probably crammed people closer together. That's my guess. But whatever it was, they were very unhappy about my drinking at 5.30 in the morning. But screw them. You know, like, they told me I could. I called up, and after I pressed it, they told me I could. So, not my problem. Anyway, they put this mask on me. Last time, they didn't put a mask on me. This time, they put, like, a surgical mask on me. And that was fine. You know, I I don't love it, but whatever. Then they put one of those oxygen masks on me. And that was fine, too. But then they put the surgical mask over it. It was very uncomfortable because the surgical mask is, like, now too tight. And it's squeezing over the oxygen mask. And I feel like I'm being suffocated. So I raised my hand. I said, hold on, we have a problem here through, like, the oxygen and the anesthesiologist says, what's the problem? And I said, this just feels too tight. I don't like it. I feel like I'm being suffocated. So then he took off the surgical mask, which is stupid. Like, why do I even have that on? So he took that off. Didn't argue with me or anything. I'm sure, I'm sure I was annoying the guy, but he didn't argue about this. Took that off. Then it felt much better. Right after that, he started the anesthesia. And the last anesthesiologist I had... She did not try to make any conversation. In fact, it was the opposite. They started the anesthesia without even telling me. This guy started it, and then he didn't tell me he was starting it, but he started making just conversation, started making small talk. And when I had dental anesthesia many years ago, the same thing was done. When I had my wisdom teeth removed, the guy starts making small talk out of nowhere. So I knew what that meant. So then I'm like trying to answer his questions, but I could feel like kind of the dizziness coming on and it gets very hard to get words out. I start feeling like very tired and confused, but yet I'm still trying to answer the guy as, as if my answers matter. He's just talking about random bullshit with me. And then, in fact, it was, I was talking about poker fraud alert before I went out. He's asking about like what website I run and stuff, and I'm trying to explain it. And then I just knocked out. Then I hear beep, 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 beep. And I, I'm like, what the hell? Who's, who's, where's this obnoxious beeping coming from? <laughs> and my eyes are closed. So I open my eyes and I see I'm lying in that same room and everybody's gone. Not totally gone, but like there's nobody near me anymore. When I, when I went out, like the whole group of people's around me, the anesthesiologist, the nurse, the doctor. Now, like nobody stand by me and... I see, like, nurses working in the distance. And I'm hearing beep, 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 and machines by me. And my first thought is, like, why are they leaving me here alone with these beeping machines? Why, why didn't they do my colonoscopy? And I go, oh, wait a minute, they must have just done it. <laughs> that must be why I'm waking up here. And that the beep, beep, beep must just be, like, medical equipment of uh, either mine or somebody else's. So last time they actually woke me up. This time, like, they just let me wake up on my own, and that's why I woke up to beep, 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 beep. So I I called out and said, hey, I'm awake, and then they came over. And then, unfortunately, it took quite some time for the doctor to come over and talk to me, whereas last time she came right away. In fact, she came kind of too soon because I wasn't that coherent yet. This time I had a lot of time to become coherent because I had to sit there like half an hour before she came over and in fact they actually kicked me out of bed and made me go sit in a chair and wait for her (laughs) 
But I found out, as far as the polyps, I actually got a different result than what I expected. The number of polyps in my colon this time was... Zero point zero. Yeah, no polyps. Shocking. Good news, but shocking. I totally didn't expect that. I thought it was a very low chance that that was going to be the result. But yeah, I had none this time. So it went from four last time, including two pretty bad ones, to none this time. So that might mean that last time's polyps were growing for a long time. I mean, for, for all I know, maybe they started in my 30s. So maybe that's why I had four last time, and this time I had zero. I don't think I'm never going to have one again. You don't go from four the first time to zero the rest of your life. But that's good. I, I thought they're going to find a few that just won't be as advanced as the previous time. But yeah, there were none. So okay, good. So that especially made the aspirin thing a moot point because they had to not cut anything. There was no cutting, no bleeding, nothing. So that was a pleasant surprise. So even though there was kind of more bullshit involved this time than last time, some of it was my fault, some of it wasn't, the result ended up being better. So, good. I kind of don't even think about that I just had a colonoscopy. Like last time I was thinking about it a lot because of the polyps that were found. This time I'm like, okay, no polyps. Like It just kind of left my mind pretty quickly. They actually told me I don't have to come back for another five years, but I don't like that advice because I think that's just too long. If I had never had a polyp found, then I agree. But since I had four that other time, including two that were pretty bad and one that was very large, I don't want to wait five years. But I agree that three years, which is the normal time you come back if polyps were found, is probably a little too soon. So I'm going to compromise, and this is just my own choice. They didn't agree necessarily or disagree, but I just decided for myself, because I'm the one who makes this decision, that the next one will be about three and a half years. So I've got until mid-2027 to have to worry about this again. So I will worry about all the other concerns, about the prep and the water drinking and all that. I'll worry about that in a few years. For now, I'll put it out of my head, except except there's one matter that's not finished, and that is the bill. This is not going to be free. See, you're supposedly guaranteed free colonoscopies as part of Obamacare. But they're not really free. Last time, I had to fight, fight, fight to get mine free. I kept getting bill after bill after bill. This time, I was told there's no way for mine to be free. Because you're supposed to only get a free one every 10 years. So I'll have to see what they bill me, and then try to talk it down. It's going to be fun. All right, I I know you're not here for my colonoscopy, so I'll move on to a topic that I think you will be more curious about, especially if you've been following uh, poker news lately. So there was a super user scandal. I'm not talking about the absolute poker super user scandal of 2007 or the UB super user scandal of 2008. No, 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 no. Those are old scandals, obviously. 
I'm talking about the GG Poker super user scandal of 2023. Ah, so some of you haven't heard of that scandal because it is quite new. It just happened last week. But yes, there was a super user on GG Poker, and he did cheat, and he did win a tournament via cheating, and he did win at cash games via cheating. So we're going to have an extensive talk about that super user. And this is not a guess. This is not speculation. GG Poker has admitted it. So there definitely was a super user on GG Poker. Now, for those of you that don't know what a super user is, in a poker sense, a super user is a player that can see everybody else's hole cards. The term super user spawned from the term in computer science, which refers to a user on a system that has complete access to everything. That's what a super user is in the computer science sense. But that was adapted to the poker sense in 2007 to discuss the cheaters on Absolute Poker that could see everyone's whole cards. Now, who came up with the term super user for poker cheating? A term which is still very much in use today, and in fact has been all over poker news describing this GG poker situation. The person who came up with that term was none other than Todd Dandruff Wittellis. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Oh, no, another Al Gore. But no, this is not an Al Gore pretends to have invented the internet moment. I didn't invent the term super user. I learned it. But I learned it from the computer science standpoint. I then applied that term to poker cheating. And I didn't do that after a lot of thought. I was just posting on 2 Plus 2 back in the summer of 2007 about my suspicion that there was a cheater on Absolute Poker who could see everybody's whole cards. And off the top of my head, I called him a super user. And the term caught on, and that became the accepted term in poker to describe someone who can see every player's whole cards as he plays the hand. Very few people know this. Very few people know that the term in the poker sense was invented by me. But it was. In fact, when I made this claim, journalist Haley Hintz wasn't sure if I was telling the truth. And she actually went to investigate it and found that, yes, I was the first one that she could find any record of using that term. She found the date of my 2 plus 2 post, and she could not find anyone referencing to a cheater in online poker that could see whole cards as a super user before I did. And that is because I came up with it myself. I'm not trying to brag here. I'm just telling you that was my term, and most people don't know that. So, like, had I never been born, it would be called something else. But anyway, that's the accepted term these days. And there was a super user on Absolute Poker in 2007. It turned out to be owner Scott Tom and his friends. There was also a super user on UB for about five years, and that was co-owner Russ Hamilton and his friends. But since then, while there have been allegations of possible super users, 
there has not been another incident that has been verified to be a super user situation in online poker until this most recent incident on GG Poker. And I'm not talking about these little poker apps or little private poker sites. I mean, that's a different matter. But I'm talking about major poker sites. There has not been a super user scandal, a verified super user scandal, since 2008. But now we have one again. Now, a lot of times there's paranoia in online poker because when you go through a bad streak and especially if someone makes bizarre plays or bizarre calls or bizarre raises and it, they t- turn out to be correct, you start to suspect that you're being cheated. And it's easy to think that way. In fact, I've had those thoughts myself when I'm on losing streaks. And I've also had other players accuse me, even not knowing who I am at the table online, but I've had them type in the chat that I'm cheating, that I'm a super user, just because they are either running bad or they don't realize that I'm making the play I'm making for a specific reason and not because I can see their cards. So I've even had these allegations made towards me in the past, usually by fish, but occasionally by non-fish too. So when people claim that there is a super user, you always have to take it with a grain of salt, even if it comes from someone you otherwise respect. The only way you can really believe it is if the person comes forward with evidence. Well, someone did come forward with evidence. On December 28th, 2023, someone made an account on 2 Plus 2 called GG Super User. And this person was not claiming to be a super user. They were claiming to be exposing a GG Super User. But this account was made on 2 Plus 2 specifically to expose this super user who played under the name, and I'm not making this up, Money Taker 69. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're cheating in online poker, and you're actually calling yourself Money Taker 69. Like, I thought the name Pot Ripper on Absolute Poker was bad. <laughs> this is worse. <laughs> At least Pot Ripper could have, like, a marijuana connotation, but Money Taker 69 is pretty direct. He's just taking your money. This is what the person wrote who posted under GG Super User. They've never said who they were, but this is what they posted. User Money Taker 69 is alleged to be super using on GG Poker. In December, Money Taker won at 90 big blinds per hundred, which is a huge win rate. I mean, that's an insane win rate. That means 90 big blinds every hundred hands they play. In 8,900 hands, which is a lot of hands, playing 53% VPIP. Now, VPIP means voluntarily placed in pot, meaning that this person is voluntarily putting money in the pot 53% of the time, which is a super, super high rate to be doing so. So if you have to post blinds, those aren't voluntary. But if you are voluntarily putting money when you otherwise don't have to, when you could otherwise fold, then that's considered voluntarily placing money. So you had a 53% VPIP, which is crazy high, and that's a very bad strategy. You just can't win playing 53% VPIP. 
So it's saying not only is this person winning an insane number of blinds per 100 hands, 90, but he's also doing it playing 53% VPIP, which is much, 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 much higher than any winning players ever have. Then this person wrote, soon after he binked a $150 Sunday tournament for $47,586 while playing an extremely volatile strategy, which aroused a lot of suspicion. GG Poker has acknowledged the situation privately and is preparing to address it, but it's important for the public to know immediately due to the significance of super using. So at this point, GG Poker had not addressed anything, and this guy did not provide proof that GG Poker admitted it, but that's what he's claiming. Then he start, Then this guy came with some receipts. It says, the results. The following results graph comes from Smart Hand, a site that tracks online poker results. Money Taker won at 90 big blinds per 100 in December, playing uh, 53% VPIP. Typically, a player with this ratio would be in the minus 50 big blinds per 100 range. Even if we were impossibly generous and said he was break-even, this run would be a statistical anomaly. So he's basically saying that there's two things which are very, very glaring already. Number one is that this guy ratio of 53% money voluntarily put in the pot and also 17% of uh, pre-flop raise, that that type of ratio would you'd expect to lose about 50 big blinds per 100. So not only did this guy not lose... He actually won 90 big blinds per 100. So he's saying here that even if you want to say that this guy was playing a strategy that would be a break-even strategy, for him to be up 90 big blinds per 100 after 8,900 hands is still insane. But it's especially insane when he has a style which would make you lose 50 per 100, and instead he's winning 90 per 100. So this guy writes, for a minus 50 big blind Recreational, impossible. And then he showed a simulation he ran showing that it's just basically impossible to have won this. He said, the following is a simulation of possible runs for a player given a win rate. The light blue at the top represents the best run, which is the luckiest run a person could have in a thousand trials. This is minus 10 buy-ins. Money taker won 77 buy-ins. So that's a very important part there. The guy did simulations of a thousand different ways it could go with this guy playing 8,900 hands with that type of statistics of voluntarily putting money in the pot and raising like he was pre-flop. And basically the best this player could do with those type of stats, if he's the luckiest he could possibly be out of a thousand trials would be still losing 10 buy-ins. And instead, he won 77 buy-ins. So going, this is just so far of an outlier that even blows away the luckiest he could possibly be out of like a thousand tries. He still blows it away by many, many times. So you're just saying this just isn't possible. Additionally, Money Taker won a $150 Masters Sunday tournament, which is a big open field tournament. This makes the possibility of chip dumping or targeting specific players with the virus much less likely. Let me stop here. So this guy's pointing out here that we can throw away the possibility that Money Taker was just dumping money to his friends and purposely losing, or that he infected 
certain players' computers with some sort of virus to where he's able to see their screen and can see their whole cards. That would make sense in cash games where you infect certain computers and then make sure to play with those people. But when you're playing a tournament, a very, very large tournament, which this one was, this is a very, very big field tournament, you don't have control of who you sit with. And the chance that you're going to be sat with the few people that you may have infected their computers is very, very small. So you're not going to be able to win the tournament based upon that. So he's saying here that the fact that this guy played a huge field tournament and won it playing this crazy style and seemed to always be right shows that this wasn't because he had access to the whole cards of a few specific players and it wasn't a matter of chip dumping. This guy could just see everyone's cards, it seems. That's a very good point. So then he showed some examples of hands, which are very suspicious. One of them brought back memories of Robbie J. Lou and her Jack-4 offsuit hand against Garrett from 2022. Now, it was not suspected that Robbie was involved in this at all. It's just funny that it happened to be a very similar hand of a similar type of spot. So, in this first hand he posted, Money Taker had Jack Deuce offsuit, and a person named Nizatin had 5-4 uh, suited. The, it was spades. So, the flop was Ace-Queen-7 to spades. So, Nizatin had a flush draw, and Money Taker had absolutely nothing. He had Jack-2 offsuit, no spade. Queen-Ace-7, two spades. So, Money Taker couldn't have missed it worse. So, in the flop, Money Taker bets out. Nizatin raises to almost six times what he bets. So, basically, Money Taker bets one big blind. Nizatin makes it 5.9 big blinds, and then Money Taker calls the 4.9 big blinds. The turn is a six. Now, that gives Nizatin a huge draw, because now he's got an open-ended straight draw, too. So it's queen, ace, seven, six, two spades, and Nizatin has five, four spades. Again, Money Taker has just jack high, no draw. So then, again, Money Taker bets one blind, and then Nizatin goes all in for 287 big blinds. <laughs> it's kind of a funny raise here. Like, the, the pot is, isn't very big, and then Nizatin just puts in 287 big blinds. Like, that's nuts. Now, to be fair, Money Taker did not have anywhere near 287 big blinds to call. He only had uh, 16 left. Nizatin just had a very big stack. This is a cash game. So Nizatin goes all in. Money Taker calls his last 16 big blinds. Now, hold on a second. Let's stop and think about that. Money Taker bets one blind on the turn, just as he did in the flop. And Nizatin then puts him in for 16 more big blinds. Yeah, I mean, yet technically he raised 287 blinds, but since Money Taker only has 16, that's all he has to call. So, why would Money Taker call 16 blinds at that point? when he has jack high, no draw. Why would he do that unless he could see that he was ahead? Well, he did, though. He called. Then on the river, Nizatin hit the three of spades, so he actually kind of made the straight and the flush, and won the hand. So let's discuss here what happened. Money Taker lost the hand, but of course this is very significant because Money Taker wasn't folding, and he was, in fact putting money into the pot voluntarily on both the flop and the turn because he was ahead. 
Now, he wasn't very far ahead because of the draws, but he was ahead. Even on the turn, he was ahead. Otherwise, one with Jack-2 offsuit, no draw, on a board like Queen-Ace-7-6 with two spades would never try to bluff like that, and especially if they tried and then they got raised all in, and at that point, of course, you can't get the other person to fold. Once the other person goes all in, your choices are to call or fold. You would never call at that point with jack-high, no draw. There's no chance you would do that unless you're either one, a complete nut or moron, or you can see the other person's cards. So since he could see that Nizatin only had five high at the moment, that's why he called. He happened to lose, but that's why he called. Now, him losing the hand ultimately does show one thing. It shows that Money Taker could not see what was coming, something I call clairvoyance. So he didn't have clairvoyance. He couldn't see what was up next. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone this far at all, nor would he have called the all-in. But he could see he was ahead with Jack-2 offsuit, no draw, all the way up until the river when the money was already in before that. That was a highly suspicious hand. But wait, there's more. Another game. Money Taker had 5-8 offsuit, and another player named Agatsu had 7-6 offsuit. All different suits. So the flop was Ace-9-8. So Money Taker has hit bottom pair, and Agatsu has... An open-ended straight draw. Money Taker again fires one big blind. Agatsu then raises to seven big blinds, and Money Taker calls the additional six. The turn is now a seven. It's a seven of spades. Now, neither of them have a flush draw, because the two spades and two clubs on the board, and neither of them have a suited hand. So the f- a flush draw is out of it, but of course... Neither of them are supposed to know this. So at this point, Agatsu still has the straight draw, but now he's really only got the uh, bottom end of the straight draw. Technically, it's open-ended, but it's uh, the bottom end. But he does have a pair. But Money Taker, he's in worse shape. All he's got is third pair and a bottom-end gutshot draw. So now Money Taker fires at nine big blinds, and Agatsu calls those nine big blinds. The river is a two of spades, so it could possibly make a backdoor flush for someone. It didn't, but it could possibly do so. Obviously a meaningless card. Money Taker fires again, seven big blinds. Agatsu raises to put Money Taker all in. Now Agatsu really hits him with a big raise, 104.83 big blinds. And this time, Money Taker has that covered. So Money Taker has to call that much. So Money Taker would have to call almost 98 big blinds with third pair. All he has is a pair of eights. The board is ace, eight, nine, seven, two. All he's got is a pair of eights. And he's getting raised 98 big blinds on the river. He's ahead because all Agatsu has is the fourth pair with a busted straight draw but somehow money taker knows that and he calls and he wins another hand money taker has pocket twos cobra has king nine of hearts the board the board is ace jack four 
Money Taker Checks, Corey Abetz 2.9 Big Blinds, Money Taker ch- then check raises to 5.8 Big Blinds, and Corey uh, calls that raise. The turn is a 3. Money Taker bets 5 Big Blinds, Corey uh, calls 5 Big Blinds. Not very good play from Corey uh, either, with King 9 suited, no draw. The river is a 7, now making a possible backdoor club flush. Ace Jack 437 is the board. Corey has King High. Money Taker has a pair of twos. Money Taker then bets two, uh, 10 big blinds. And Corey deciding he doesn't want to give up, raises him another 65 big blinds. Money Taker had only uh, 38 more, so that's all he had to call. That's still a lot. And he calls 38 more big blinds with those pair of twos. And what do you know? He's correct. On Ace Jack 437. Money Taker wins 118 big blinds with a pair of deuces unassisted. <laughs> and there's many more like this. Hand after hand after hand, it just seems like Money Taker always knows when he's ahead or behind. So this person on 2 plus 2 went on to say, based off his play, the most natural explanation is that he can see the cards. He rarely puts in his money significantly behind or calls the river with the worst hand. Also, his win rate is so high that real-time assistance could not possibly explain it. So even though people have bots playing for them or using real-time assistance to be given advice like a bot, uh, you know, like basically the bot is advising you to play, he's saying that this win rate is so high, it's even too good for real-time assistance. It's unclear how he's able to see others' cards, and it's possible he's not the only one exploiting a glitch in the system. A post on 2 Plus 2 highlighted a group of suspicious accounts that played for brief stints and won for more than 30 big blinds per hundred, which is particularly difficult on GG due to the rake structure. There's no clear evidence that the players in that post are super using, but it's not unreasonable to suspect this could be a larger issue at scale if done by the hackers that want to be less obvious than running with more than 50% VPIP. People on 2 plus 2 were kind of like cautiously stating, you know, this doesn't look very good. Like a few were saying, oh, come on, you're reaching here. It's probably just a fish who's happening to win. But a lot of others are going, you know, this doesn't look very good. (laughs) This really does look like the guy can see cards. So it didn't take long for the truth to come out. That was posted on December 28th about this money taker guy. On December 29th, GG Poker put out this notice. Security update. GG Poker recently spotted unusual game patterns and abnormal game client packets from a user named MoneyTaker69. Our technical security team investigated the issue, identified a client-side vulnerability, and fixed what caused these unusual circumstances. We have banned the user and confiscated the unfair winnings, equating to $29,795. Below are the details of how this player exploited the system and gained an unfair advantage. So, okay, GG Poker is admitting that this money taker was a super user, that they claim they've banned him, and they confiscated his almost 30 k that was presumably still in the account. And then they're going to give you the details of how he did it. So there's no question that this was cheating now. Just in case you're saying, well, you know, I don't know. These hands, they, they don't look good. But you know, maybe it was just a fish playing really stupid and getting lucky. Nope. GG Poker admitted it right here. Yes, this guy was exploiting something. 
This is how they explain it. It's a very weird story. Under a specific set of circumstances related to the thumbs-up, thumbs-down table reaction feature, which involves decompilation of our Windows game client, interception of network traffic, and alterations of game packets, MoneyTaker69 was able to customize his own game client. These customizations could only be made to our Windows desktop game, since part of our desktop client leverages the Adobe Air framework, which has attack vectors that the other frameworks do not. Uh, let me stop right here. I bet you're confused, right? <laughs> I bet you you have a lot of questions probably. First of all, what does this have to do with thumbs up and thumbs down? What do they mean about decompilation of the Windows client and alterations of game packets and attack vectors? What are they talking about here? So I'll, I'll break this down after I read the statement. I do not blame you if you're confused at this point. At no point was the user able to access our servers or server data, including others' whole cards. So that's interesting. They're claiming here that he couldn't see people's whole cards. Well, then what was he doing? Through his customized game client, he was able to to deduce all inequity by exploiting a client-side data leak vector. They love to say vector in this update for some reason. Our engineers detected this vulnerability and issued an emergency update on December 16th to disable the thumbs up and thumbs down table reactions. However, the user was already in possession of the customized game client, which he blocked from receiving further updates and was able to accumulate the data link during the flop and the turn. So they're basically saying they, they fixed the vulnerability by turning off thumbs up and thumbs down, but he just rejected the client. He just uh, made it to where his customized client was able to just reject the update and continue playing so the guy could keep cheating. I'll explain shortly why this was so stupid of them. Through this accumulated data, he could guess his win probability with reasonable assurance. We have since issued security patches to prevent further client-side data leaks of this kind and have added solutions that will detect and prevent players from customizing the game client to their benefit. We will refund $29,795 to the affected players and will also reconcile payout for the impacted tournaments in the next 24 hours. We sincerely apologize for this incident, which has caused many poker players to worry about the game's integrity and shaking their trust in GG Poker to provide the best poker experience. We take this incident very seriously and continue to work hard not to disappoint poker players. Additionally, we are actively recruiting to double the size of our technical security team and are enlisting help from renowned security professionals to ensure that online poker is safer than ever. We'd also like to thank the poker community. This incident further proves the power of our community and the poker players' hive minds as constructive community feedback gave us great confidence in resolving the issue. We will continue to take community feedback seriously and open our ears to all comments and suggestions. Let's build a safe future together. So if you think this didn't go over well, you're right. (laughs) This went over terribly, the statement. But I need to break it down for you and explain what they're saying, because I have a feeling that a lot of you just don't really understand a lot of this. And part of it is because this wasn't written well. Part of it is because there was a lot of technical jargon here, which... Some of you probably just don't have the background in to uh, be able to decipher. And part of it is because, like, you have to read it a few times to really figure out what's going on. So I'll I'll make it easy and explain this here. 
So what is the thumbs up, thumbs down table reaction feature? Let's just start with that. Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. I found on their website a description, so I'll just read you that. This is before the cheating occurred. This is just when they added the feature and they were basically promoting it on their website. When a user places a bet, now you can let them know what you think. Give them a thumbs up or thumbs down react. All users, even those who are sitting out, are able to send bet reactions. Just right-click on a PC or long-press on mobile to open the React options. So it looks like what you can do, even if you are sitting out at the table, if you're someone who's sitting in the game, then you can put a thumb up or a thumb down emoji that will pop up next to you. So they're basically saying if you want to give someone thumbs up or thumbs down for any reason, like they just placed a bet and you want to show what you think of the bet, you can now put your thumb up. It'll do a little thumbs up picture next to your avatar. And that even if you're not in the hand, even if you're sitting out, you can still do it. So that's all. It's very simple. It's just a little graphic. It doesn't affect gameplay. So how could this possibly be used to cheat? Like of, of all things to use to cheat on the system, how could someone possibly use thumbs up and thumbs down to be able to cheat the games? Well, I'll explain. So they talk about decompilation of their Windows game client, meaning the Windows game client is the program you run on your Windows machine to access ggpoker. It's basically just the ggpoker program on your computer that you download. So they're saying that they decompiled it and then they quote, intercepted network traffic and altered the game packets to make his own custom game client. So basically what they're saying here is that MoneyTaker69 or someone working with him was able to deconstruct the ggpoker program, the client that runs on Windows, and change something about it and make a new ggpoker program that allowed him to cheat. And where thumbs up, thumbs down came in, even though they don't explicitly say it here, is that when the cheater would press thumbs up or thumbs down, instead of just showing a thumb, it would show him his chance to win the hand and his opponent's chances to win the hand, known as the hand equities. Because if you think about it, poker really is a game of hand equities. Because until the river, you usually have some percentage of a chance to win the hand. Occasionally, you're drawing dead before that. Like, let's say your opponent flops quads and you have no way to make a straight flush. But aside from that, very often you have some chance to win the hand, even if a small chance. And you will see these percentages put up on the screen, either if you're all in and you're seeing the hands run out in online poker, or if you're watching on TV and you're seeing people play hands and go all in, you'll see percentages that they have in equity at the moment. Or even sometimes when they're not all in, sometimes it'll just show that, like on Hustler Casino Live. And I think some of the other broadcasts do it too. So really, it's just a feature to show either the viewers or the player or both what chance they have to win at the current moment. But of course, this is never shown until there's no more betting to be done, until everybody's either all in or folded to where there's no further decisions that can be made at the table. So 
how was MoneyTaker69 able to see these percentages before all-ins had occurred? So that's where the thumbs up and thumbs down came in. So he changed the program. He changed the GG Poker client program to where when he would press thumbs up or thumbs down, his system would basically ask the GG Poker server, hey, what are the hand equities right now? And then the GG Poker server would stupidly answer and give his client those numbers. And then using his modified client, it would display on his screen. So it would display at the moment. He has, say, 52% chance to win this hand. His opponent has 48%. And then he would know what to do. It's not quite as good as having everybody's whole cards displayed. But number one, you can sometimes deduce what they probably have based upon those numbers. And number two, if you think about it, poker really is just a game of equity percentages and making decisions based upon that. And if you've made the correct decision based upon that, then you've done the right thing. And if you've made the incorrect decision based upon that, you've done the wrong thing. The only exception is when bluffing comes in. So if someone has a much better hand than you, but they're still, they still have a pretty weak hand overall, and you figure that out, and you bluff them, then they may fold, in which case you win the hand even though you were way behind them. But aside from that, most of poker is about deducing whether you're ahead or behind. And if you know exactly how much you're ahead or behind, you have the exact percentages that are displayed on the screen right in front of you, then you can make very, very good decisions that are almost as good as decisions you could make is if you could see the whole cards. So he couldn't quite see all the whole cards, but by getting these percentages of your chance to win at this moment, then you can make so many correct decisions that you'll be not only unbeatable, you're just going to crush it at an amazing rate, even when you do lose a few hands because you take some bad beats. The thumbs up and thumbs down, the only reason that came into it is he needed something to signal the GG Poker software that he wants that information sent to him. He probably didn't want it constantly sent to him, either because it was too hard to modify the GG Poker program to constantly display it, or maybe because he just didn't want it sent that often and arouse suspicion. So whenever he pressed thumbs up or thumbs down, then it would ask GG Poker's server for that information, and the server would stupidly give it, and then he would see where he stands in the hand. Now, you might wonder, why would the GG Poker server ever send this information? If this is confidential information that players should know until they're already all in, and everybody's all interfolded, why would the GG Poker server ever be sending this information to anyone? Why would this even be something that could be asked? Well, the reason is that they want to display this for people during all-in runouts. They want people to be able to see this. And this is pretty common in online poker software. When everybody's all in or out of the hand, and you just have to see a runout, then people like to see what the chances are of everybody who's still in to win the hand. So in order to display this information, the GG Poker server has to keep this information and be able to send it to the client programs that are running it. So it's fine that GG Poker does send this information, 
when everybody's all in and there's no more decisions to be made. But it's terrible if they can send this information before that point, because then it can be used to cheat and basically be a super user. So that was a huge, huge, huge mistake by GG Poker to not check for this. GG Poker should just absolutely never make this information available unless it's verified that everybody has no more decisions to make, that nobody can change what they've done or will do in the hand, that the actions have already been taken that can't be taken back. That's the only time that information should ever be sent, regardless of what the client program's asking for. The servers should just never send it out. GG Poker System should never send that out. should never have an option to send that out until everybody has made all the decisions they can make. But apparently that was not a security feature of GG Poker. And all the person running the cheat client would have to do was ask for it. So let me talk about Adobe Air. They mentioned that only the Windows game client could be modified this way because they were using the Adobe Air framework, which, quote, has attack vectors that other frameworks do not. Well, this is another big mistake that GG Poker made. GG Poker was using a framework that was obsolete. Adobe Air was discontinued in 2019. And for that reason, they were not providing any kind of security updates to it from that point forward. So they should not have continued using Adobe Air once the security updates were discontinued. Because anytime a hacker would find a way to exploit Adobe Air, Adobe was not going to issue any kind of update to close that hole. So you never want to use something like that in a product where security is of the utmost importance, like a poker client. But stupidly, they did. Now, to be fair, when they developed the GG Poker software, it was before 2019. So at that point, Adobe Air had not been discontinued. But once it was, they should have changed the client. They should have done away with Adobe Air. But they chose not to. And then something there was used to be able to create this custom client. So this was a, a big, big mistake, again, on GG Poker's part. It looks like just laziness. They didn't feel like redoing it without Adobe Air. And they just took the chance, and they got burned. It's also insane that GG Poker did not have any kind of check for a modified client. Because remember, in order to have the software display these percentages, the equity percentages. MoneyTaker69 had to modify the software in order to display this stuff. And there's a lot of ways that GG Poker could check that the client connecting to it is not modified. I'm not going to get into these ways, but there are a number of ways that this can be done. But apparently they were not checking for this. Apparently they were just trusting that anybody running GG Poker software on their Windows computer was running a legitimate version. So the fact that they were doing no checks that this is a valid piece of software that they issued is crazy. But that was the case here. Fourth, it is very bad that GG Poker did not have internal checks 
for absurd or unexpected win rates. Because what this guy on 2 plus 2 did that exposed it basically was just running numbers, something even a computer could do. You don't even need a human being to do this type of analysis. So there should be internal checks within ggPoker, not even done by a human being, but done by the system itself that looks for things like the voluntarily placed in pot percentage, the pre-flop raise percentage, and the number of big blinds won per hundred hands, and then automatically flag accounts that seem to have crazy win rates compared to their statistics, and also just to automatically flag any accounts that are winning at crazy rates at all, regardless of their statistics. So if somebody is playing 8,900 hands and winning 90 big blinds per 100, well, that should automatically trigger a manual review that a human being can take a look at and say, wait a minute, is this person playing normally or are they possibly cheating? Because anyone looking at the hand histories of MoneyTaker69 would see that the guy was blatantly cheating. But they did not have any kind of check in their system to look for this. So it had to be caught by MoneyTaker69's opponents. GG Poker apparently did not have any kind of monitoring of the accounts of high win rates that just seem absurdly high, or even better, win rates that don't match the play style. Apparently this just wasn't happening there. But there's more problems here. There's more questions. Let's go back to their timeline from their own statement. They said that they spotted unusual game patterns and abnormal game client packets from MoneyTaker69. They investigated the issue, identified a client-side vulnerability, meaning that he changed the client, and fixed what caused these unusual circumstances, and then they banned him and confiscated his money. But then they go on to say that they issued the updated software to disable the thumbs up and thumbs down on December 16th. Wait a minute, December 16th? There were hand histories of Money Taker 69 playing as late as December 23rd. Now they're claiming that they updated the client on the 16th and that Money Taker rejected the new client and kept using his own custom client, and that's why he was able to keep cheating. But that begs a very, very important question. Why didn't they just ban Money Taker 69? Why would they let him keep playing after discovering he was cheating? Wouldn't you say the correct thing to do at that point on the 16th would be ban him and issue a client update? But no. They issued a fix, but they let MoneyTaker69 keep playing for another week. (laughs) Why? I don't know. Nobody knows. I guess they know, but we don't know. They won't explain it. It makes no sense. Why would they let MoneyTaker69 play for a week after being caught cheating? Well, I have a theory as to why he was playing for another week. I think they may have caught this on December 16th, but I think they caught somebody else on December 16th. And they banned that player, and they quietly handled it, and of course they didn't announce that this had occurred, 
and they hoped no one would ever discover it. This is just my theory, by the way. I don't have any evidence of this, but this is my theory. So they banned somebody else on December 16th and figured that even if others were doing it, that they have closed the loophole by disabling the thumbs up and thumbs down. And that was that, which is a very stupid thing to believe (laughs) that just turning off thumbs up, thumbs down was somehow going to solve this because cheaters could easily change something else about the software to display those percentages. They don't necessarily need the thumbs thumbs down, I'm assuming. But let's even say that solved it. It wouldn't make any sense to let the cheater keep playing for another week. So I think they banned a different account on the 16th and didn't know about MoneyTaker69 and also didn't know that anyone with a custom client could just reject the new client and keep playing with the old client, which they admitted they didn't realize at first. So that's why I think MoneyTaker kept playing. And I think it was only on December 23rd when people started complaining to GG Poker about these bizarre hands where MoneyTaker was just crushing people and reading their souls, I think then they realize, oh no, this is another one, and then shut him down on the 23rd. That's my theory. But they've never explained why they let him play another week if they conclusively discovered on the 16th that he was cheating. That's really bizarre. Also, this 29000 whatever that they confiscated, they haven't explained if that is the amount that they've determined he cheated people out of, or if that's just what happened to be in his account when they closed it. Because they should really pay anybody who got cheated by him and not just take the money that was left over that he didn't cash out and only distribute that because this was their fault. So I have nine questions for GG Poker, which they really should answer. They probably won't answer these questions, but these are the questions they really should answer about the situation if they really want to be transparent like they're claiming they do. Number one, what I just said, why was MoneyTaker69 allowed to play for at least a week after being caught cheating? Number two, is there anyone else who cheated like MoneyTaker69? And if you're saying no, then how can you be so sure? Number three, how much money did MoneyTaker69 profit in total during his time on GG Poker? Whether you think he was cheating or not, what was his overall winnings on the site? Not what did he have when you closed his account. What did he win overall? Because he probably cashed them out, right? Number four. Since he did occasionally lose to bad beats, like the one I described with the Jack Two hand where the guy made the flush on the river, his total winnings are going to be less than the amount he cheated people because some people who lost against him shouldn't have lost against him in many cases. Meaning that he should have folded and ended up winning the hand because he knew not to fold. So how will those people be compensated? What I mean by this is that you can't just go by the total amount he won because there will be some hands he lost. He was still cheating, but he lost while cheating. So you can't just say, well, we're going to take the total amount he won and split it among everybody who played against him because that's not fair. Because just because some people happen to win against them, against him, I, I, I agree those people shouldn't be compensated because they already got the money from beating him. But I'm saying that that does detract from the total amount that he won. So you really have to look at how much he won via his cheating. Rather, how much did he win total? And I don't think they're doing that. Number five, how will people be compensated whom he knocked out of the tournaments he played, either before or after the money? So let me compare this to how they usually handle tournament cheating. 
The most typical type of online tournament cheating that takes place and that results in action against the cheater involves multi-accounting. So let's say somebody enters a freeze-out event with two accounts at once, and then he wins. And then it's determined he was playing with two accounts at the same time, which is very, very against the rules. So what they do in such a case is they remove the guy from first place, and they move everybody up a spot. So second becomes first, third becomes second, etc., all the way down to the person who was on the stone bubble becomes the min-casher. The reason that's fair is because, aside from the occasional situation where the guy may end up at the same table as himself, if he's multi-accounting, he's still playing regular poker. He still doesn't have an advantage over anybody in a particular hand. He has an advantage overall in that he has two shots at the tournament instead of one like everybody else, but hand for hand, he doesn't have an advantage over anybody. Again, unless he happens to have his second account at the same table, which doesn't happen very often in a large multi-table tournament. So it's pretty fair at that point to just take him out as, as if he lost and then move everybody up one spot who was behind him. But this is different because... Anyone who played against Money Taker 69 in a tournament was not playing fair poker against him in any hand because he always had the equities. He always knew whether he was ahead or behind. So that caused some people to get knocked out of these tournaments either before they made the money or much earlier in the money than they should have been. Let's take a very simple example. Let's say shortly before the money, Money Taker 69 was the chip leader, and John Smith was the second chip leader. And they both end up at the same table. And because Money Taker 69 can see all the equities, he completely crushes John Smith and takes all his chips, where otherwise he wouldn't have been able to do this if he couldn't see all the equities. So John Smith ends up busting and not cashing. So moving everybody up one spot is not going to do anything for John Smith because he wasn't on the stone bubble. So John Smith still would not cash if you move everybody up one spot. But John Smith was the second chip leader to Money Taker 69 before getting devastated by him. So it would not be fair to John Smith to give him zero there. Now, it's complicated to figure this out, but they should be able to do some kind of calculations based upon hands played against Money Taker 69 in the tournament of what equity he robbed people of in the tournament and then give them something back for it. But to my knowledge, they're not going to do that. Number six, how long was this exploit being used? And do you have any indication of knowing how long this is being used? Just because you detected it on the 16th of December doesn't mean that's when it started. I doubt that's when it started. So how long was this going on? Number seven, what is Money Taker 69's real name? Why have you not published that? Why don't we know who it is? You shouldn't be protecting his privacy. You have stone-cold evidence that he cheated. Why have you not named him? Number eight. Has this criminal action on the part of Money Taker 69 been reported to any law enforcement? I have a feeling the answer is no. Why not? And number nine. Given your platform's usage of Adobe Air, which is discontinued, and plus these internal security check lapses, which led to this occurring, 
there's some major security issues at GG Poker. So do you plan to allow any independent audit of GG Poker's security in order to make players more comfortable to continue to play there? So just saying, well, we're, we're going to do better next time. We're going to hire double the security people. That doesn't mean anything. Like, there were major flaws in this. So is anyone going to come in from the outside and take a look at all this and give their stamp of approval, or we just got to trust you? I have a feeling we just have to trust you. So this is not handled well from GG Poker. They, they came out pretty quickly, but only after everybody was getting spun up that there's definitely a super user there. So GG Poker realized that they had to come out and say something. They couldn't just say, oh, no, nothing to see here. No super user. Like people were talking about this very vigorously on Twitter, very vigorously on 2 plus 2. Even a poker fraud alert was being discussed. So like they had to address this and they knew it had happened. They, they knew since December 16th that this type of thing was happening. So they put out a statement. Of course, they wanted to say as little as possible and come off like they're being cooperative and come off like they're being transparent while actually saying very little. And that's basically what they did. And the, most of this, quote, security update was a lot of technical mumbo-jumbo that most people were not going to understand. And that even those who are technical would have to read carefully to really figure out what they're trying to say. But they really raised more questions than they answered, especially the thing about why the guy was able to play for an additional week after catching up cheating. The GG Poker ambassadors like Daniel Negranu, Jason Kuhn, Fedor Holtz, these people were getting a lot of crap on social media for not saying anything about this. And people expected that I was going to jump on that train and really come after these people and say how awful they are. But I'm actually not. I actually understand somewhat why these people kept quiet. And that is, this was not an intentional case of cheating by GG itself. So let's compare this to shady poker sites like UB and Lock Poker. Lock Poker didn't have a super user scandal, to my knowledge, but they just stopped paying people. So UB had the super users, and they also stopped paying people, and Lock Poker just stopped paying people. And yet their ambassadors, their paid promoters, were continuing to promote these sites while this was going on and while they knew it was going on. And I had a big problem with that and called these people out as it occurred. So why am I not doing the same to GG Poker's ambassadors? And it's because GG Poker itself wasn't cheating. GG Poker itself was not gaining from this. GG Poker believed they had the problem solved and they really didn't. They were very incompetent. They were stupid. They were very careless. And they tried to cover it up until this came out about Money Taker 69. But they were not the ones doing it. This was not intentional on their end. And it's a huge difference. So it's one thing to keep promoting a site, or at least not say anything negative about a site where you're an ambassador when there's a scandal there and people get cheated. It's one thing for that to be the case. It's another when the site itself is stealing from people and you're continuing to promote it so people come there. The latter is much, much worse because the latter is leading lamps to the slaughter. 
The latter is saying, we know everyone's getting cheated here. We know the owners are doing it, but come play. That's what the UB reps were doing. That's what the lock poker reps were doing. And that's why I had such a problem with it. And when they said, oh, well, we have a contract that says we have to. No, you don't have to. You can break that contract for many reasons. Just because you have a contract with that company, if you know that they are cheating people, if you know they're not paying winners, you do not have to uphold that contract. So that's bullshit. I said it at the time. I'm still saying it today. However, GG Poker wishes incompetent. They're not trying to cheat people. The company was not cheating people. So the ambassadors, their position is, oh, okay, well, GG Poker, they've taken care of it. They've put a stop to it. This isn't going to happen going forward. It's regrettable. It sucks. But we didn't know about it as it was happening. And now that we know about it, like you guys do, you know, what is there to say here? Now you might say, well, wait a minute. Let's take Daniel Negreanu. Negreanu is a very, very opinionated guy. He's been posting a lot of political opinions recently. He posts opinions about the poker community. Why does he go silent about a GG Poker super user? Is it because he is the main face of the site? And the answer is yes. But that is reasonable because he is under contractual obligation, I assume. I've never seen the contract, but I have to assume he's under contractual obligation to not disparage the company and not to put out any non-approved statements regarding the company. I have to imagine that's in the contract. And unlike a situation where the poker site is intentionally cheating or non-paying people, here you really couldn't make a very good case that you can just jump ship after they've paid you all this money. GG Poker could strongly make the case that this was just an oversight, this was just a mistake, a mistake that they corrected, and that you can't just trash them after being paid millions of dollars to promote them. So it is understandable why Negranu is not coming out against them. It's very, very different than when the company is intentionally ripping everybody off. So I will cut these guys some slack. Because it's a huge difference. By promoting GG, you're not leading lambs to the slaughter. You may be leading people to play on a site that has poor security practices or had poor security practices. But you're not leading them to a place where the company is cheating everyone or refusing to pay anyone. Gigantic difference. So I will cut these ambassadors a break, at least for the moment. Now, if GG Poker just keeps having this problem over and over and over again, and the ambassadors just keep on promoting, well, that's a problem then. At some point, they've got to put their foot down and say, okay, we, we can't put our name on this anymore. Even if you're not intentionally doing this, you're just not solving the problem. So I'm not as anti-ambassador here as some people are. I understand why people are angry at them. But you got to put yourself in their shoes. You're being paid a lot of money to promote a site that at the time you signed the contract, you believed the site was completely legitimate and did everything the right way. And then you come to learn at the end of 2023 that they had a lot of vulnerabilities security-wise and some people took advantage of that and, and cheated some players. You're not happy to hear about that, but would you just throw away everything that they've been giving you and risk being sued because this company made that mistake? 
Would you really do that? The difference between standing up against a scam company that's just outright stealing and scamming and breaking a contract, a lucrative contract, and one where you could be sued for breach of contract with a company that just made a security mistake. Very, very big difference. So you can say you'd do that, but I have a feeling you wouldn't do that if you were in their shoes. Like, if I was a GG Poker ambassador, and by the way, I, I was never asked to be an ambassador. I was never close to being an ambassador. I, I don't want to say that. But I went to a GG Poker party in 2022 where they invited me. And I have no idea why they invited me, but they invited me. I've talked about this before. In the summer of 2022, I was invited to a GG Poker World Series party. I don't know why, but I was invited. And I went there. And near the end of the party, I met the owner of GG Poker. And he seemed like a nice guy. And we, we had a good conversation. In fact, at the beginning of the conversation, he just thought I was just some random poker player. And he's just making, you know, just kind of pleasantry, small talk with me and just wasn't very interested. Like, why would he be? But then when I talked about some subjects and demonstrated a lot of knowledge of the industry, he was pretty impressed. And then we had a much deeper conversation about it. And at the end of the whole thing, he gave me his business card, which I didn't ask for. He gave it to me because he was interested in getting to know me. And I wasn't sure what to do at that point. I, I wasn't sure, like, you know, maybe I should talk to the guy and get to know him. Maybe become ingrained in, in GG Poker, maybe become uh, you know, something over there. I wasn't looking for a job or anything, but it's, you know, I've, I've always kind of wanted to be involved with a major poker site. It seemed like it'd be fun. It seemed like it'd be an interesting challenge. But I, I, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't want to, I just didn't want to go that direction. I like being independent. I like being able to say what I want. While nothing was ever offered to me or anything like that, or ever implied like something be offered to me that you know the guy gave me his business card to get in contact with him after we had a conversation and he was impressed with my industry knowledge but i never messaged him i never contacted him because i just wanted to maintain my full independence nothing against gg at the time and that you know it was a nice party and i was grateful they invited me but I, I like having my full independence where I can say what I want, where if something like this happens, I'm not under any kind of contractual obligation to say nothing. So that was why. As I saw this occur, I'm thinking, okay, well, <laughs> it's probably good. I, I did not uh, try to start up uh, some kind of business relationship here. Because at the time, I, I was impressed with GG Poker and everything they had accomplished. They, they were a ground-up poker site at a time it was very hard to establish a new poker site and be successful. Like, look at what Phil Galfon tried to do. That failed miserably. And at the same time, GG Poker rose up to become the biggest site in the world. So I was very impressed by that. But right now, they're not looking very good. I mean, they're still making a lot of money. They still have very high activity. But at the moment, their reputation isn't the best because of this situation, and the poker community is not very happy with their response. And I think GG Poker is just going to let it die here. I think they're just going to let those who are unhappy be unhappy, and that's that. Which I don't think is the correct way to handle it. But let's say in an alternate universe, after I got that business card a year and a half ago, I emailed the owner of GG Poker and we struck up a friendship and he made me some kind of manager there. And then this happened. 
would I walk out in a huff and say, ah, oh, you guys in your terrible security, oh, this is embarrassing. I can't be associated with this. I don't care about my contract. I'm ripping this up. Goodbye. I'm going to bash you guys and tell the truth about how unhappy I am with your security practices. Would I do that? No, I wouldn't. Now, if I found out that they were super using from within the company, like what happened at UB, oh yeah, I would do that. If I found out that they were no paying people like Locke was and just keeping the money and where people's balances were useless because they couldn't cash him out, yeah, I'd walk away and bash him. You bet. But something like this, no, I, I wouldn't. I'd quietly be unhappy. I'd quietly be giving my strong opinions. When I say quietly, I mean not publicly, but I would loudly do it privately. I'd be giving my strong opinions of what they should do to prevent this from happening going forward and how they should compensate those who are affected and not to hide from it. But I wouldn't break a contract over this sort of thing. One of these things is much easier said than done. Much easier to say, oh, I would do that when you're not in that situation. Before I get into what I think they should do, aside from those nine things I listed, let me talk briefly about the accounts that are also alleged to possibly be super users. Now, these ones, they don't have any kind of hand histories or anything that is nearly as strong as with MoneyTaker69. But back in August, someone had posted a list of a bunch of players on GG Poker who were the most successful at the lower stakes, because a lot of this was taking place at the low stakes from Money Taker 69. That's why he didn't win huge money. There's a number of theories as to why he was playing low stakes. One belief was that he just didn't have very much money to start with and was just trying to run it up. And it takes money to make money in poker. Another theory is he did this to stay under the radar. But regardless of the reason, back in August, someone had posted a list of those who were dominating at the lower stakes no Limit Hold'em games in GG Poker. And they noticed that certain players were suspicious. It said that certain players had very similar, in fact, almost identical statistics and graphs. And all of those same players quit after approximately 15,000 hands. A person on 2 Plus 2 named Random Name 123 asked, why would a normal person stop playing when they're literally printing money? They're saying, if you're kicking ass at these rates, why would you just abruptly quit after 15,000 or so hands? That's a very good question. So there were various players that were shown. Diablo Rishur, Dare You Now, Greedy Boss, One Floki, Hanzo Hazashi, Top Slot, Finit to Grind. So these are just names of various players that, if you look on the 2 plus 2 thread about this, they all have very similar graphs. You can see the graphs look so similar to one another, their stats regarding the uh, VPIP and the uh, PFR, which is preflop raising, and the 3-bet three bet, three bet percentage. Very, very similar numbers. And it's true, the number of hands they played were all around 15,000. First one played 16,300, second one 14,900, third one 13,300, fourth one 14,200, fifth one 
a little bit of an outlier, 11,100. Next one, 16,800. Next one, another outlier, 7,000. So what they all have in common, aside from just crushing the games for like 30-plus big blinds per 100 and having almost identical stats. Now, they didn't have crazy stats like Money Taker did, but almost identical stats. But they were also closing their accounts despite just winning at these very high rates. So why would they do that? Why would they just quit? Now, this doesn't mean that they're necessarily super users, because these could just be people using bots. And there were also some theories at the time, back in August, that this was a case of money laundering. But I don't believe the money laundering. That's supposedly what GG Poker told people who questioned the site about these particular players, that they were removed, but it was for money laundering. But I don't believe that, because if they're money laundering, you're not going to be playing with almost identical stats. You're not going to be worrying about your pre-flop raising percentage and your uh, VPIP percentage. You're, you're not going to play exactly the same so consistently on all these different accounts. You're just going to be dumping money to one another. So I don't believe the money laundering thing. However, I will say that when someone has very similar VPIP and preflop raise percentages, repet percentages, you know what that usually means? Bots. It does not necessarily mean super users. Because super users will not have similar stats. They'll have outlandish and insane stats, but they won't have similar stats. Because they will be reactive. They will be playing based upon the cards they can see or the equities they can see. When you're seeing stats that are just incredibly similar from account to account to account to where it's almost identical, that usually means it's a bot. Because a lot of bots just don't get creative and stick to a very specific strategy. So that's what I'm guessing was probably going on with these accounts. Now, why would they quit after a certain number of hands? I think it was to avoid detection. I think that they take their profit and then they bounce before GG Poker knows what's going on and then they move to a different bot. That would be my guess here is these were not super users, they were probably bots. But this is where we need transparency from GG Poker. We need to get the truth about these accounts. And we haven't gotten that. That's another thing that really should be addressed. Now, how should they really be handling this? Because there's what we'd like to see, but then there's the way GG Poker handles it in what's best for their business. They are in various regulated markets, so they do have to answer to some regulators. But putting that aside, as far as their reputation in the community, which prior to this was pretty good, what should they do? Because they have to balance transparency and reputation and saying too much which can dissuade people from playing. Because the last thing GG Poker or any poker site wants is to scare people away. Is to make it to where everybody losing on there thinks, oh, well, no wonder I'm losing. Everyone's cheating here. Oh, there's hackers here? Oh, that's why I, I can't ever get a bluff through. They do not want this entering people's heads. As far as they're concerned, the less said, the better. Ideally, nothing's said publicly, but once something's brought out 
like this Money Taker 69 thing that they can't avoid, if they put out a quick statement which appears transparent and gives the impression like they've solved it and closed the hole and that's that, they're hoping that's good enough to make it go away, even if some sharper minds in the community realize that they really haven't answered very much at all. They know they'll lose some people over this, but if the majority either never hears about it or is satisfied with their explanation, that's all they need. But that's a bit short-sighted. I'm a big believer, and not just in a situation like this, but I'm just saying in general, not even just in poker, but in general, I'm a big believer in the concept that sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Sometimes you actually have to make a situation a little bit more inflamed, a little bit worse, a little bit more controversial, and take a little bit of a risk in order to make it better long term. In fact, that concept is often applied in medicine, where sometimes you'll have to take a medication with side effects that will make the patient feel even worse for the moment, but then will cure or at least lessen their discomfort to where the patient gets better. So there's a lot of cases where it's actually correct to intentionally bring on some pain in order to solve the problem, if that pain is necessary. Not just to bring on the pain for the sake of pain, but to not be afraid of bringing on additional pain in the short term. And I think that's what GG Poker needs to do here. They might think, okay, the best thing we can do is just kind of feign we've taken care of it and hope most people accept that and hope it gets mostly forgotten about. But the problem is this was the first super using example in 15 plus years. So people aren't going to forget this very quickly, even if it's not being actively talked about. And you know what? In the next story we're going to do on this show, the ACR situation, that is now affecting GG Poker. Even though ACR and GG have nothing to do with one another, people are now getting fed up with online poker in general. And I'm reading tweet after tweet from person after person that they're done with online poker, they don't trust online poker, they don't want to play online poker. And not just conspiracy theorists, low-limit players who can't ever book a profit. I'm reading things from like Alex Foxen and other great players in the game that they just don't trust online poker. And you don't want that out there. That's very bad for the industry. So you can't just try to sweep this under the rug and say, okay, well, yeah, it's a big controversy now, but next week people will move on to something else and then something else after that. And within a month, no one's going to talk about this anymore. Not when it's a super user situation. So what you have to do here, even though it will cause some short-term pain in that people will be talking about it for longer and it will remind people in the short term that you had a lot of security holes, what they should do here And again, I'm not saying from the standpoint of what I'd like to see as just someone in the industry, but I'm talking about from their standpoint also as a business, what they should do here is they should really do the maximum to make the community trust them. Try to set an example that, hey, we're not going to hide from this. We're not going to do what UB did and try to lie and give excuses and see what different lies are possibly going to be believed, and keep floating a different lie out there every day. 
we are going to be fully transparent and honest about this. So instead of giving this weird convoluted story about December 16th and then somehow Money Taker is still playing for another week, explain it fully. Explain how many people you think were involved with this. Be overly generous in compensating anyone affected because they have a lot of money. They're making a fortune on GG Poker so they can afford it. A small site would have a problem because they don't make that much money. This is a huge site which is making a ton. So spend some of that money to compensate those that were affected. And you'll have a lot of people coming out on social media praising you for how generous that you were to them because it'll be found money. So be over generous with the compensation. Don't try to get away with just giving the 29K you took from Money Taker plus moving everybody one spot in the tournament. That's not going to do it. You've got to do way more than that. So come up with a way to compensate everybody involved. Be overly generous and be open and honest. If there was another person you caught on the 16th, just say so. If there's others you've caught, if, let's say you caught 10 people doing it, just be honest. Say, yeah, we caught a number of accounts here. Here's all the accounts. Then name the people behind these accounts. And people may say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. It's illegal. Well, I can't tell you the regulations in the various places that GG Poker operates. If it's absolutely not allowed to be done, then so be it. But provided that's not the case, they should name all the cheaters. And the cheaters will never sue them because the cheaters know what they did. And GG Poker has the goods. So the cheaters are never going to sue them. So they should name them. And they should give the full information. This is how long it was being used, this exploit. This is how much money was taken. These are all the accounts that were involved. Here's how we're going to compensate everybody. Then they should report these people to law enforcement. If they don't want to name them, at the very least, report it to law enforcement. And be transparent of who it was reported to and which jurisdictions. And then direct people to contact law enforcement with any further information. Make it clear they're taking this seriously as a criminal matter. And then, as far as the security going forward, they should put out a concrete plan of what they're going to do to make sure this never happens again. Not just, oh, we're going to check that the client is legit in the future, which is what I think they said on their Twitter. And we're going to stop using Adobe Air, and we're going to hire more security people Blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Put out a very, very clear plan. Apologize for not having done this before. And put out a very clear plan to completely overhaul your security procedures. And if necessary, get some kind of independent audit that your security is correct at this point. And if you do all of that, you're going to win back the community's trust. That's what you need to do. Just putting out a weird statement and then hiding from it is not going to get it done. You may think it's going to get it done, and there will be a lot of players on your site that are not aware of this, but the word is going to get around. And the site could very well lose traffic and end up in a tailspin. So you've really got to make it look like you're taking it seriously, that you're on this, that you're being very, very transparent, that nobody thinks you're covering anything up, and that you have completely turned over a new leaf and you're not going to let this happen again. That is the only way that you're going to get past this mostly unscathed. 
I don't think they're going to do this, but that's what they should do. And again, at the beginning, it'll hurt some. They, they'll have to pay out some more money than they were going to before. They're going to have to admit to a lot of things they prefer not to have to admit to. But this will be refreshing. People will say, wow, GG Poker is being transparent and honest and introspective. And now they're going to take care of the matter. Now they're going to do things differently. Lightning struck once, they're not going to let it happen again. That's what people want to see. That will get universal praise. But the way they've handled it so far is not getting praise. And in fact, their ambassadors are getting bashed hard right now for not speaking about this, which is misdirected anger, but it's understandable anger. Because people are pissed. People feel like they're being manipulated. Feel like they're being lied to. So you can't answer distrust with obscuring facts, with trying to cover up the details, with a statement that doesn't make much sense, with undercompensation. This is not the way to win back the positive vibes of the community. And if you don't care about the positive vibes of the community, then why are you even bothering releasing these shows like Game of Gold? Game of Gold is kind of like a poker game show they did on YouTube. Completely free to watch. Mainly featured GG Poker Pros. A few others, too. Got a very good reaction from the community. I don't know. I tried watching a few episodes. I couldn't get too much into it. I mean, I understood why people liked it, but it just wasn't my thing. But it got a very good reaction. People loved it. And they did this for the goodwill from the community. They did this so people would look at GG Poker and say, wow, this is cool. This is a great show. GG Poker is giving this to us for free. GG Poker is entertaining us for free. So they do care about having goodwill in the community. But you might as well not make stuff like Game of Gold if you're going to ruin it all by mishandling a super user scandal. And so far, they have mishandled it. So that's my advice. And I didn't lose a penny. I don't have a GG account. Nobody I am friends with lost any money here. So this is not personal. And you've heard me before on this show. I'm not a GG poker hater. I've said a lot of nice things about them. I'm not a GG poker ass kisser either. I've disagreed with some things they've done. But for the most part, I've been positive about them. In fact, just on the last show when I was talking about Phil Galfond, I negatively compared his efforts with Run It Once Poker to GG Poker and how they did almost everything right. And I talked about how impressed I was with how they built their site. So I'm not some guy who's just sitting here looking to hate on GG Poker. I'm just being honest. And I've been around for a long time. I'm not a young guy anymore. I've been around online poker now for 23 plus years. I know what the people are looking for. And I know the way people want to see a poker site behave after a scandal, and this ain't it. Now, to your credit, GG Poker, you haven't mishandled the PR as bad as ACR has, which we're going to get into soon. But GG Poker has a lot more to do. And I have a feeling they're not going to do it, and that's a mistake. And you know what? Maybe I will utilize that business card now. And maybe I will utilize one other contact of an executive at GG Poker 
who gave me his information. Maybe I will, but not to get a job there and not to tell them how great they've done, but just to give some constructive advice on what to do from this point. I don't know if I will or won't, but I'm considering it because I don't think this has been handled the way it should be. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. I already got an unfortunate text from the 480 getting network error when I click on the play tab. That's lovely. That is lovely. I mean, it's better than the show not working at all, but sorry, it's not working for you still. So let's move on and talk about ACR now. They've got their own situation to deal with there, and it's just getting worse for them. So we're going to go in order. We're going to go in order of occurrence, not order of magnitude, because the more recent situation is worse than the one that happened at the end of December. But we're going to go from the first major problem and then move on to the second. On December 23rd, ACR had a major server crash. And this is not an uncommon thing for them. For whatever reason, their site is constantly going down or having issues. It happens a lot more often with them than other sites. It doesn't happen much on PokerStars. It doesn't happen much on GG Poker. It doesn't happen much on Bovada. But for some reason, ACR just has outage after outage after outage. And we've talked about this before. But the one they had on December 23rd was particularly major and distressing for players on there. And it was especially bad because some people got their money stuck. Now, when I say stuck, they didn't lose their money permanently. But they did have their money unavailable for a while while it was locked up in these tournaments that crashed. And that was just among many problems which occurred from these outages. ACR has also been the victim of a lot of DDoS attacks over the years. And I think other sites have too, except they've just been better at handling them and preventing them from being impactful. Whereas ACR just is not good at stopping these hackers who are DDoSing them. Now, it's not clear if it was a DDoS attack here, but as I said, on Saturday, December 23rd, they started having issues first with their sports betting portion of their site at 12.27 p.m. on December 23rd. ACR's Twitter account wrote, We're aware that sports is currently down and our team is actively working to resolve the issue. We appreciate your patience and apologize for any inconvenience. Stay tuned for updates. So that was just the beginning. Then the next day, they tweeted, Some players are experiencing connectivity issues, and we apologize for this. Some tournaments will experience reduced guarantees or will be deleted today, Sunday, December 24th. Everything will resume to normal on Monday, December 25th, as well sit-and-goes and jackpot games will be. And then a short time later, Dear Players... Unfortunately, due to technical issues, our tournament gameplay will be canceled until 10 p.m. Eastern Time. This is also on December 24th. All currently running tournaments will be canceled and refunded as per terms and conditions in the next 24 to 48 hours. We're sorry for the inconvenience. So this got worse and worse. This went from, like, sports is down to 
okay, we're having some problems, we're going to have to cancel some tournaments, reduce some guarantees, to, okay, we'll be back to normal on the 25th, don't worry, and then, well, actually, we're just totally killing tournament gameplay until 10 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we'll be giving you back your money within one to two days. The problem is people did not get their money back within one to two days, and people started getting upset. Now, they believed they had the whole thing fixed on Christmas Eve, later that night at uh, 10 p.m. Pacific. They were, our site is now available. Thank you for your patience. If you're still experiencing any issues, please contact our customer support team. But, of course, it was not really over. About 12 hours later, the morning of December 25th, they tweeted, We're aware of intermittent issues affecting our poker client. Our team is on it and working towards a quick resolution. Follow us for updates. Gameplay has now been restored with more fixes to come. So then on the 25th also, they sent an email. Hello, we hope this email finds you well. Over the past day, we've unfortunately faced some intermittent issues that have affected the following systems within our poker client. Player-to-player transfers, sports, deposits and payout, cashier and balance displays, and website functionality. Our techs are aware of the issues and are working towards reinstating full functionality as quickly as possible. Gameplay has now been restored, and more fixes will be implemented shortly. Please follow us on any of our social media channels for regular updates. So, people were not happy about this at all. This was problem after problem. People had money stuck. People had tournaments that were just canceled in the middle. People were sending support emails saying, Hey, when are we getting our money back that's stuck here? When can we do withdrawals? And they just were not getting answers. Support just wouldn't have an answer. Or they'd get like a form letter saying, we're going to get back to you shortly. And then they just did not get a further response. So people felt ignored by support. They felt helpless. They felt like their money was stuck. And they just were feeling like ACR wasn't taking this seriously enough. So what did Phil Nagy do? Phil Nagy is the CEO of ACR, also known as the winning poker network, WPN. They decided the day after Christmas, December 26th, to release a video of Phil Nagy. This is on the official ACR Twitter account, ACR underscore poker. They released a video of him reciting a custom Christmas poem about the entire situation. Nothing like a Christmas poem to restore people's faith in their money being frozen. Let's have a listen. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the sight, not a server was stirring in the dead of the night. The tournaments were crashing, the fun stuck in a bind, players waiting anxiously with their troubles on their mind. Let me stop right there. You can already tell how stupid this is going to be. 15 seconds in. He's sitting in front of some blue curtain... And he actually has a Santa hat on while he's doing this, too. <laughs> Could this be more cringe? But let's, let's continue. The CEO of America's Card Room, in his chair so firm, worked tirelessly with the team despite the storm. Servers frozen, glitches abound. Oh, what a sight. But they were determined to make things right. 400 dedicated souls working through the haze, resolving issues and glitches in countless ways, with funds held up 
and players feeling dismayed, they pressed on, striving to fix all that's delayed. Okay. Um, at least they're admitting that people's money was stuck for a while. There's some caption on here that seems to be part of the video. It doesn't seem to be closed captioning that's put on by Twitter or anything. And it's funny. It had these weird misspellings like dismayed with D-I-S-M-A-D-E. I don't know who captioned this, but the, the captioning is just wrong in a lot of cases. But even ignoring the captioning, I mean, this is just so inappropriate given the subject matter. Like, this isn't something that's supposed to be funny. This isn't a laughing matter. If something that you could laugh at, if something that you could make comedy out of, and the CEO releases something like this, just kind of laugh it off, then okay, we can all have fun with it. But when people's money gets stuck and their support emails aren't getting answered and they can't withdraw, that's not the time to make a joke out of it and to put up cute little Christmas poems. But that's what they chose to do. Let's go on and listen some more. Through the day and the night, their efforts never ceased. For the players, the site they aim to release. Their commitment unwavering, their resolve so strong. They labored persistently all night long. Though troubles persisted, they persist even more. To restore gameplay, the players adore. Their dedication, their testament, clear and true to resolve the issues. I, I gotta stop this again. The problem here is this is too much praising the ACR tech staff and Phil himself rather than apologizing to people for what happened. If you want to play this to people within the company to make them feel better about their efforts, then okay. But you don't play this to the people who had their money stuck. And, and by the way, on December 26th, it still was not all resolved. That's another thing. You can't even say, well, okay, we're all past this now. Let's have a laugh. This, this was still going on at the time. So they're, they're patting themselves on the back of how well this was handled and how hardworking everybody was. When First of all, why does it happen like, way more to ACR than any other site? And second, like, why are you doing this? When, <laughs> the whole thing is not fixed yet. Whatever it took to do. So as the night before Christmas drew to an end, their hard work and efforts began to mend. The CEO spoke, we'll make things right, you'll see, with hope and promise for a better sight decree. And the dawn approached, a glimmer of light, the server started running, the end in sight. Thanks to the team's tireless endeavor, the site would run smoothly, now and forever. Yeah, see, even he's doubtful about that. That's supposed to be the joke here. See, he's now and forever. He's now and forever. Oh, isn't that funny? Because ACR crashes all the time. See, even he can laugh about this. See, even Phil Daggy laughs at how unreliable ACR is. Isn't that a nice message? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good game. From America's card room, they rose to fame. Through the challenge faced, they came out stronger yet, and with a team dedicated, you can place your bet. So, I made this video because, yeah, we've been having some problems. Uh, it's affected not everybody, it's, it's quite a few people. It's happened on Christmas night. I realized that I had to do something, it may because I haven't slept in 48 hours 
72 hours, something along those lines. People didn't like that remark. They felt like he was bragging that he was staying up all these straight hours, 48, 72, to get this fixed. He's going to make it happen. And they're like, hey, look, this is your site. You're, you're making a ton of money from this thing. Don't brag to us that you were staying up days at a time to try to get this fixed. This is your responsibility to run a site that works properly. Um, and I realized that I didn't even call my mom on Christmas. It's, it's, we're really close. It's for those of us with stu- fun stuck. It's, it's take a breath. Um, it's, it's look outside. It's, it's enjoy your family. And uh, we'll, we'll be back to normal. It's, it's very soon. Yeah, see, that's another thing. You don't lecture the people who have their fun stuck. You're admitting people have their fun stuck. <laughs> like, hey, just go outside, touch grass, spend time with your family. Stop worrying about the fact that we've held your money frozen here while we're trying to fix all the issues here. Now, I don't think they were going to steal anyone's money. I don't think that the money was ever at risk. But it's still unnerving to have your money stuck. And you shouldn't have the CEO lecturing you to go outside and spend time with your family instead of worrying about your money stuck. No, you're an unregulated site. The truth is that ACR could run off with your money anytime. So yeah, of course, when there's problems like this, you get nervous. So you don't lecture people. What you do is you put out a message apologizing. And we haven't heard an apology here. Like We're almost to the end. There's no apology yet. Thank you. Have a happy, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And uh, we're, we're not going anywhere. We're here for you. So again... No apology in the whole thing. Just a weird Christmas poem and then him bragging about how hard they've been working to put everything back and, hey, don't worry about it and go outside, spend time with your family, don't worry about this, don't think about it, and we'll be back. (laughs) If you're going to put out a message as the CEO there, you come out, if you want to be honest about what's going on and say, hey, we've had problems, money stuck, you just be matter of fact with people. You just say, look, I, I understand these are trying times here that some people have stuck money. Your money's all going to be back. We're just getting through technical issues. Everybody's going to be made whole. It'll happen automatically once we get this solved within the next few days. We sincerely apologize to everybody for this. We feel terrible about it. And we're going to work hard to make sure this doesn't happen again, blah, blah, blah. Like, You keep apologizing and assuring them it'll be okay and assuring them that you're working to prevent this in the future. And again, you're sorry. You you don't lecture them to forget about it, go outside, or make funny little poems about it. This didn't go over well. This isn't just my opinion. Like this, This had a very, very poor response. When I say very poor, I mean like really, really poor. <laughs> like nobody liked it. So everyone was just bashing them in the response. J. Bills wrote, imagine being this fucking corny. His shitty site goes unreliable during the holidays and Nagy comes up with a cringy-ass, arrogant Christmas song. Get the fuck out. Jared Smith wrote, Twas the day after Christmas and all through ACR, they hired more techs when they needed PR. (laughs) It's true. Yossi Galimindi wrote, How much are the Russians demanding to let the site run flawlessly? I'm just curious. It's in reference to DDoS attacks they've gotten. Petro Stacks wrote, is this supposed to make us feel warm and fuzzy? Your, quote, support team, if we can call it that, got back to me after five days telling me that my refund was already applied to my account and to check your, quote, rules and regulations page. No explanation as to how much money I'm getting back. Rock on Ben wrote, there's a reason I self-banned myself off this site. Just gave me validation. 
James Sloat wrote, I usually defend ACR. I can't in this instance. It also raises flags that may not exist. I'm sorry, Phil, but you and your PR are way off on this one. person named AJ wrote, he is a reflection of how serious his website is, literally. Dude has God mode and probably can pull the plug on tournaments to make up the money he keeps losing on cash games and probably the money he must be dumping and simping to women. Run, run, run. Another person named J. Ballantine wrote just, Sir, please fire yourself. Another person named Divergence wrote, ACR is 100% trash. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Like, there's not one comment like, oh, this is so funny. Oh, this is so cute. Ah, oh, very nice. Like, no one liked it. Then a person named Slice, they wrote their own poem. Twas the night before Christmas, went all through the site. Not a guarantee was being hit in any of the flights. The tournaments were crashing. At the end, late Reg arrives, Nagy waiting anxiously to pull the doom switch live. Now, this is part of a general conspiracy theory that ACR purposely crashes itself when they're not close to making guarantees. So this way they don't have to pay the guaranteed on the tournaments that they didn't collect enough in entry fees and that there's overlays and they're going to lose money, that they can just crash the site and then cancel the guaranteed tournaments and not pay any overlays. So this has been something I've seen alleged by a lot of people. I'm not saying I believe it. I actually don't think it's true. I think it's just crashing. I don't think they purposely crashed themselves to avoid overlays. I'm not saying I'm 100% sure of that, but I would assume that's not true. And I'm being honest. I'm not just saying it so I don't get sued or something like that. I... Honestly, I think they're probably not crashing themselves on purpose. I just think they're incompetent. That's what I think. I don't think this is on purpose. But there's been people saying that, too. That's what that poem was referencing that that guy posted in response. Frank Rizzo from Poker Fraud Alerts Forum wrote, Yeah, my auto top-up was not working. I sent an email informing them of this. They told me they checked my account. All was good. Checked in 2 plus 2 and saw others had the same problem as I did. I swear every time they do a service update, shit is worse functioning than it was pre-service. So he's not happy with ACR that saying other problems they claim to have fixed and really are not fixed. So generally, people got the idea there that the CEO was just extremely tone deaf, that a disturbing crash occurred that locked people's money up, and that he was just making a joke of the whole thing. And I can understand that. Like I wouldn't be happy either if my money was stuck there. I don't have an ACR account. I've never played on there. So I have no personal beef here. And I was not affected by this personally. But I see why this bothers people. And I see why they didn't like the response from the CEO when their support tickets are going unanswered or not answered for five days. So it's bad enough to have a site that's incompetently run and always crashing, but then to make a joke out of the whole thing is pretty bad. So that was the first situation. And so you can say, all right, well, it sucks that it crashed. sucks that people's money got stuck. They did get their money back. You know, people didn't get cheated there, ultimately. And the site is running again presently. Actually, I think it's actually down again. <laughs> I think just like before radio, they announced they're having problems again. But after that whole thing was over in late December, they got everything in order, at least for the moment. People got their money back. So people didn't lose money out of this, except for some people who got screwed by the tournaments crashing when they were deep and had a lot of chips. But everybody else didn't get screwed, but they had their money stuck and this wasn't handled well. But you could say, okay, this is just like a PR blunder. Well, the second situation, which just broke recently, much more recently than this one in late December, has created a lot more controversy than this Christmas time crash. 
And now this is sending real ripples throughout the online poker industry as a whole, not just ACR, because this plus the super user situation on GG Poker is really making people feel like online poker is not safe. So a guy named Tyler R.M. posted a new thread on 2 Plus 2. Now, unlike some of these other 2 Plus 2 posts I've been reading you throughout this show, Tyler RM is not an account that was created just for the purpose of posting this stuff. Tyler RM has actually had an account on 2 Plus 2 for over 10 years. He just doesn't post often. He has 64 posts in 10 and a half years. But he made a pretty good post here that was pretty detailed, alleging something very serious on ACR. The post was entitled, Bot Farm won $10 million on WPN, referring to Winning Poker's Network, which is ACR. Tyler wrote, Monitoring the development and profitability of poker bots has become an increasingly challenging task. Below are my findings related to the bots identified on the Winning Poker Network. And then he showed a graph of total profit, and you watch it go up, 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 up. And he then wrote, the issue of bot proliferation has been recognized for at least three and a half years, despite submitting comprehensive reports to WPN, which unfortunately went unanswered from their security team. I harbor no illusions that they will address the problem. The security service has let down the player community. Therefore, I am reaching out to poker schools, funds, and independent players. I urge you to examine the hands played by these bots in cash games and MTTs, meaning multi-table tournaments, this year, analyze their strategies and training sessions, and actively combat them at the tables. In many games, they constitute a significant portion of the player field, ranging from 5 to 15%. So basically he's saying, I tried to tell security about this, of all these bots that are infesting ACR, and security doesn't give a crap. They're just not responding. So I'm urging everybody else to be vigilant to watch out for this and to report these bots if they can. And he's saying that in some tournaments, as many as 15% of the field are comprised of these bots that he identified. So then he posted these big reports that he stored on a site called mega.nz where you can store, you can store big files of MTT hands and cash hands of these bots he said, currently, bot farms, this bot farm evolves approximately every three months, but still employs exploitative tactics, allowing to push back. Given their ability to create over 100 plus new accounts per month, eradicating them requires multiple waves of blocking, not just a single sweep. So he's saying here that these bot farms are so advanced that they're just cycling accounts through very fast. So even if ACR goes and wipes every single one of them today, Within a few months, they'll have all new accounts set up and the whole problem will start up all over again. So they have to keep blocking them like around every three months. Otherwise, the problem is not taken care of. He does note this issue is not exclusive to WPN. Evidence suggests that Ignition, meaning Bovada, and GG Poker are also affected. While I lack data from all platforms, it is certain that they will infiltrate wherever there's a lucrative game. In the end, I would like to say that poker is a game of people with each other and not machines. Interference by machines disrupts the essence of poker. If any room management believes that regular players can be replaced by machines, you are mistaken. In such a scenario, a game would inevitably dwindle or cease to exist, reaching an untenable scale. Now, I agree with all that. But I don't really see anyone really arguing that bots are okay 
in these online poker games. They're definitely not, and using a bot definitely is cheating. A bot not only has computational abilities that humans don't, but bots also don't have fatigue, they don't have emotion, and they don't make just mistakes out of brain lapses that will happen to human beings. So bots have a big advantage. Even if the bot has identical skill to you, the bot will beat you because it doesn't make the mistakes you will occasionally make. It will not get tired. It will not get tilted. So running a bot really is cheating. So he basically was presenting the data showing that these bots, and he names them all. I'm not going to list them. There's like a ton of them on this list. But these bots, he has estimated, have won about uh, $10 million in this one particular bot form. That is, uh, And these are not just like random bots. These are bots that he has linked together that are all part of one group that they've raked in $10 million from the winning poker network. So that's pretty obscene because who does this 10 million come from? Well, it really comes from the poker pros on there because the fish are going to lose no matter what. The fish may win temporarily, but if the fish stay for more than the very, very short term any good luck they have at the beginning is going to catch up with them and they're going to get crushed because their skill level is so much behind the good players. So what happens in poker is the lesser players are destined to lose everything. And then that money is split among the good players. The very best will make the most all the way down to the decent players who will kind of be break evenish, and then everyone else will lose. So when there are additional good players, they take more of that pie and everybody else wins less. So if you have bots there, the bots are going to suck up a lot of the profits. The more bots that are there, the more it's going to be difficult for you to make a decent profit on there. So basically this $10 million came from the winners, even if not directly from them, because this money was won when it otherwise would have been won by regular players on the site. Instead, it was won by bots. It's similar to when I say that if the best player at a cash table leaves, the one who benefits the most is the second best player. And it's not even close. So it's along those lines. So anyone who's a poker pro, or even anyone who's not a pro but is a winning player, should really be outraged by this. Now, the typical recreational player doesn't matter much because they're going to lose anyway. That's a sad fact. But anyone who is a winning player, a long-term winning player, they basically got stolen from via these bots that took $10 million out of the economy on ACR that should have otherwise gone to the winning players. So this is pretty bad. Now, this does go back a while, according to the stats that Tyler RM collected it goes back to late 2015. So we're talking about a period of about eight years. But that's still over a million a year. That's like 1.25 million a year on average. So this really caught the attention of the poker community and especially poker Twitter because people were already frustrated about the GG poker situation. People were already getting skeptical about online poker that the biggest online poker site in GG Poker had such lax security and 
handle the thing so poorly. So first, they're already losing trust in GG Poker. ACR was already in the doghouse because of that major crash in late December, plus the stupid reaction from Phil Nagy. But now they get hit with this, that they see over the past eight years, $10 million has been taken off the site by a bot farm that ACR just has never been able to stop. And the guy presented a lot of data indicating that this is true. So people were very, very unhappy about this. And this has really shaken people's faith in online poker in general. And now there's starting to be a lot of talk online that maybe just people shouldn't play online poker anymore. Maybe just everybody should play live, which isn't practical because live poker isn't everywhere. Or even if it is by you, maybe you can't play it. Maybe you've got kids at home you have to watch. Maybe you just have other reasons you can't go out and play. So online poker is necessary for many poker pros. So it's not so simple just to quit. But this has really shaken people's confidence. This plus the GG thing so close together. And people are talking about, hey, maybe it's just time to be done with it. Patrick Leonard, who's Pads Poker on Twitter, released this statement. He kind of did this in the format of Will Jaffe's Tough Convos. So he had his first, quote, tough convo. Let's listen to what he said, and then I will give you my opinion. All right, this is a tough conversation. My first one ever, so apologies if the delivery's not good. Um, but this is a tough conversation for amateur poker players and professional poker players. We need to stop playing on all of these sites. It's a joke. The amount of cheating which has been going on and the amount of respect that we get back from the sites and from the ambassadors is just a joke. Like, we always see the ambassadors, hey, sign up to this site, oh yeah, play on this site. They put their face on the site, they put their referral link, they do whatever, they post, they retweet. And then we get cheated out of millions and we hear nothing. Crickets. Like, it's so disrespectful. You know, they oh, of course, but you know, like, they wouldn't get their paycheck if they, if they come out against the sites or say anything or talk about it. Then don't take the fucking paycheck. You know, we're your fucking friends, your colleagues, your peers. And you ambassador for a site. If the site is cheating us out of 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, whatever the millions is... We turn up every day on the site you tell us to play on. We register, we register, we register, we pay all the rake, and we get cheated, and we hear nothing. Nothing. We don't hear anything. It's like, oh, yeah, nothing. No tweets this week. No tweets next week. Oh, like, have you seen my YouTube video? Oh, have you seen this or this going on? Oh, I'm at this, like, spa retreat. Fuck the spa retreat. Fuck your YouTube video. Fuck everything else. We're getting cheated out of millions. Where the fuck is our millions coming back from, you know? It's fine to close down 50 accounts and do all this stuff. But where's the money going? You know, if you say, oh, well, they withdrew the money. That's not our problem. That's your problem. You're offering the game for us. We are playing there because you say, come and play there. If you haven't invested in a big enough security team and you've spent money doing X promotion or Y promotion, then work it out. Work it out. Work out where this money's going and give it back to us because it's our money. They've not stolen it from you. They've stolen it from us. If you pay us back the money, they've stolen it from you. But if you don't pay us back this millions of money, then they've stolen it from us. So we've had millions of dollars stolen from us. Our ambassadors don't say anything. We don't hear anything. They're like, oh, you know, bro, can't say anything. It's in my contract. Fucking rip the contract up and throw it away then, you know? Because do you really want to represent a side or sites like this where we are getting where your peers are getting fucked? You sit like, opposite us at the poker table in these live tournaments, smile and we're best friends. 
But where the fuck's our money? It's gone, you know? And it's just not... It's insane. And if we keep playing on all of these sites, then what's the fucking point? Of course people will keep doing the same. If we don't change it, then nothing will change it. So this is a tough conversation for myself, I guess. Okay, so Patrick Leonard's usually pretty good when he writes things out on Twitter. And he's a smart guy, and he's well-respected in poker. This wasn't a very good video. It was kind of rambling... It just jumped from place to place. He wasn't very specific about anything. Notice he didn't name any sites. He kind of implied it was about ACR, but it wasn't directly about ACR. In fact, people even asked him, are you talking about ACR? He's, well, sort of them, but about a lot of sites. And like, well, okay, well, what sites do you recommend then? <laughs> Which ones don't you have a problem with? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I had a problem with um, a lot of them, but uh, PokerStar is pretty good. And so he was... He was kind of defending poker stars, but also not directly endorsing them. So if you're going to make a video like this, call out the sites that you feel are misbehaving, like I'm doing here on this show, notice, and then tell people where they should be playing or what are the least of all the evils and whether you trust those sites. Like, that would be a good video. Here he's just kind of ranting and a lot of it seems aimed at the ambassadors of these sites, which, as I mentioned in the GG Poker segment, I think is misplaced anger. I think people have every right to be angry at ACR and GG Poker for how they've been handling these things. I agree with that, but the, getting mad at the ambassadors isn't the right move. So that's something else I don't particularly agree with here regarding his video. Now, he is correct that these sites need to compensate players more for these lapses in security and not just say, oops, well, sorry, this happened. Sorry, we'll try to stop it in the future. If your lax security allows bot farms to operate for 10 years and take 10 million out of the economy, if your lax security allows people to make their own poker clients and get information on hand equities to basically be a super user, yeah, you do owe the players back some money, and more than just the very minimum. So I agree with them there, and I agree that if they don't make players whole properly, then it's the players taking it on the chin, not the site. So he's not totally wrong here, it just isn't the best statement. Also, him just telling people don't play on these sites, especially not naming them, but even if he did, it's not really an option for a lot of people if they're poker pros that just can't play live, as I was mentioning before. Especially in the U.S. market, there just aren't many options, especially if you don't have legalized online poker in your state. And even if you do have legalized online poker in your state, none of these sites are very active. So basically, if you're in the U.S., you have ACR, you have Bovada, you have Global Poker, you have Bet Online, and then you have those terrible apps like Poker Bros where you're going to get cheated all the time. So there really isn't a lot of choice. So if you're an active ACR player, it's not just trivial to say, okay, well, I'll just leave ACR because... It's not like there's a ton of sites to go to. And as even mentioned by this Tyler RM on 2 Plus 2, it's likely that these other sites have the problem as well. So there's the issue right there with the bot farm. And I, I think the guy's correct or mostly correct, this Tyler RM. I haven't gone and checked all his work. It would take a very long time. But nobody's come out and said, oh, no, no, this guy's way off base. This isn't really true. Like People are basically agreeing that, yep, there's... Tons of bots on ACR. There have been. I know Joey Ingram was ranting about that for a long time. I know that Ruben on Twitter, Wug, 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 who used to be 
a big ACR player. He has been ranting about that for years. So there's been a lot of people accusing them for a long time of not handling the bot situation very well. In fact, ACR itself admitted a few years ago that they weren't handling it well and claimed that they're going to transparently ban bots and update which bots are being banned on a particular web page. They were going to keep everyone informed that they were banning bots, showing which bots they removed and how much money they took from them. And that lasted like a few weeks before they gave up on it. So they're just not very dedicated to removing bots. There's conspiracy theorists believing that the bots are run by the House. I don't believe that. There's people who think that ACR is okay with the bots because they create activity, they fill up tournaments, they sometimes prevent overlays by being a big percentage of the field. You know, that may be somewhat true. But again, I think this just goes to incompetence. I think that's what's going on here. I think it's just they're just not good at stopping bots, and they just don't care. And maybe they like the activity from them also. And if there's not enough pushback on it, then they just don't really put an effort into stopping it. A big complaint some people are voicing, and I agree with this one, was that they removed players' ability to see the location of players. Because what was noticed was that a lot of players in certain countries were often bots. So when you saw players from Kazakhstan, it tended to be either a bot or it was Borat. or from Belarus, or from other Eastern European countries. There were just some countries that did not have very many legitimate players, and most of them were bots. So if you suspected a bot and then noticed he was from Kazakhstan, that added to your suspicion because that was a common location for the bots, as was Belarus and some of these others. So all of a sudden, the location disappeared, and people were asking, why? Why are you not showing us where these players are from anymore? And ACR never really gave an answer. So that is fueling some of these conspiracy theories that ACR actually wants to enable the bots, and we're tired of people being able to see what country they were from, and then complaining about them. Now, it's possible that ACR just got sick of all the false positives, that every time someone lost to someone from Belarus, they would get complaints, oh, this person's a bot. And then in a lot of cases, they weren't. But that's ACR's problem for not getting a handle on the bot situation. So if a lot of people from these countries are bots, then you can't blame people for falsely accusing certain players of being bots because they're from that country. So taking away that data point was a mistake and does seem to indicate that ACR does not care all that much about stopping the bot problem. Well, today, something was released another PR attempt that has ended in failure before it even got going. And this was even more bizarre and more ill-advised than the Christmas poem, if you can believe this. But this time it didn't involve Phil Nagy, at least not directly on video. I'm sure he was behind this, but he wasn't the one who was the face of it this time. Chris Moneymaker, who is the main site pro, appeared in a video... And it was quickly deleted and replaced by another video. But I got to see both. And fortunately, because someone else who saw the video quickly saved it, I'm not sure why. Either they saved it directly then or they saved it after the fact when it deleted and they hadn't lost it yet. But someone saved the original version. So 
I'm going to play that to you first. What's up, everybody? Chris Moneymaker here. I know we've got a lot going on with ACR, and there's been a lot of things coming out about bots and a bot farm. Um, I think Doug Polk just put out a video, and there's been a lot of talk on social media. Well, I'm here to kind of lay down the gauntlet for anybody that wants to, to prove us wrong. Um, what we're going to do at ACR is we're going to offer $100,000 to anybody that can create a bot on the site and run it for 5,000 hands and show it to us. We won't hold it against you. Bring it to us. Show us that you can run it. We'll give you $100,000 and we'll give you a job. It's about the best offer we could ever do. If you can make a bot work on WPN, you get $100,000 and you get a job with WPN. The gauntlet's laid down. Let's see if it actually can happen. You know what? If we're wrong, we're wrong. But I don't think we're wrong. I think we're right. We'll see what happens. All right, guys. I appreciate your time. Happy New Year. That was posted today. It was up for about 15 minutes, and then it was removed. I wasn't sure if they thought better of it or if they were going to release a new version. They ended up releasing a new version, which I'll play you shortly. But the new version basically put out the same message as the old version. And it was the same 100K challenge. Now, before I analyze the whole thing, well, I guess two things before I analyze it. Number one, we actually have a co-host. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be good for my throat. Calwatt, hello. It's, uh, I see 6.34 in the morning where you are there in the East Coast. Yeah, my wife is looking at me right now like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> that's, that's the way most people's <laughs> wives look at them when they call this show, including Tyrone from uh, Vegas. His wife uh, isn't happy when he calls on the show either. So <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome back here after some time. And uh, are you familiar with all the ACR stuff going on? I'm not, actually. And I, I have not been listening to the show. I actually just kind of woke up, so I apologize. Oh. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sure you can give us some input anyway. So you're, you're about to hear this, the second version of the offer they're making as far as identifying bots on ACR. So they deleted the Chris Moneymaker one. And this was not posted by Chris on his own account. What I just played you, this was actually on the ACR poker, ACR underscore poker Twitter. So they quickly deleted that. And I was actually out. I was out at the store and I saw it. And then I noticed it was deleted. I'm like, ah, I wish I could be at home. I could save this. But then someone else saved it. So that's why I was able to play it to you. So they did replace it with a new version maybe half an hour later. And this one featured Ebony Kenny and Chris Moneymaker having a conversation. And I have no idea why they replaced this, because the first video was a lot better than the second. Now, neither were good, because these were not very good ideas, which we'll get into. But at least Chris Moneymaker's delivery of the whole thing was okay, and at least he is a liked and trusted member of the community, and uh, yeah, Ebony Kenny's a different story. So I'm going to play you the second version, which is longer. It's about three minutes of change of Chris and Ebony talking about this. They, I guess they just decided, you know, let's not just have Chris offering this. Let's have it be Chris and Ebony. I have no idea why they made this decision, but I have no idea why they made this whole decision to do this whole thing in the first place. Let's have a listen. What's up, guys? Chris Moneymaker here. I'm joined by Ebony Kenny, and we're here to talk about the... Things that are going on with social media, uh, ACR bot farms, and uh, the lack of accountability for ambassadors. Um, 
couple different things going on there, and we kind of want to address a little bit of both of them. Um, but I'm going to let Ebony kick us off and start and let's roll with this. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, I think that's something that's really important. I I think I can speak safely for all of Team ACR and, and, and let you know that we understand your frustrations, especially when you don't hear from us. But that's why we're here today. And the thing that I don't think a lot of you realize is we all are poker players first, ambassadors second. So we really, really, really want to protect this industry. And we really have such a, a heartfelt love and appreciation for everything. And we work diligently behind the scenes with ACR to, to speak up on behalf of poker players. You have no idea how vocal we are. It is really wild back here and we are doing everything that we can. And we don't get every single piece of information. I think, Chris, you can speak a little bit more on this part. Yeah, I mean, we don't get to see behind the curtain. We don't get to go and like see what everybody's doing, see your accounts. But we are engaged with social media. We're engaged with security. We're engaged with almost all the components of ACR and trying to steer them in the right direction to help players and to, to do what's right for players. Because at the end of the day, part of our role as ambassadors is to make sure that we hold the site accountable as much as possible. And we, we wouldn't be ambassadors for ACR if we didn't believe that we were, that we're working with good people that are trying to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, that kind of leads us a little bit to uh, while we're making this video. Yeah, so we want to actually, uh, we've come up with a challenge for the community because we want you all to be on the same page and we want you to be inspired by what we are, have come up with. And I think it might just do that. Yeah, so it, it's the community that, you know, has supposedly found the bot farm, found the super users, whatever. And so we're, we're going to reach out to the community. I'm going to offer a $100,000 and a job with WPN, if anybody, the first person that can make a bot and make it operate on WPN, make it operate for 5,000 hands and show us. If you can make a bot, put it on WPN and make it operate for 5,000, bring it to us, show us, we'll give you $100,000 on the spot and we'll give you a job. First person to do it gets this deal. The gauntlet's laid down. I believe that our security is very good. I believe we do a very good job. I don't think anybody can create a bot that's going to break our security, but we could be wrong. I would love for you to prove us wrong. Actually, I don't want you to prove us wrong, but we're going to lay it out there and we're putting our money where our mouth is, essentially. We're, we're saying that we don't have a problem. And if we do have a problem, we'll stand up and say we have a problem. But we got to find out if we have a problem. So what do you think? $100,000 get it done? Yeah, this is this is definitely like regardless of what happens, you're helping us make poker better for everyone, which is the ultimate reason why we're all here. It's the reason why I'm an ambassador. It's the reason why Chris is an ambassador. It is because we believe wholeheartedly in this. And we all right, let me, let me stop this before we finish this off in the final 20 seconds. That's such bullshit. <laughs> that's just such bullshit that that's the reason they're ambassadors. No, there's one reason and one reason only they're ambassadors. It's because they get money. That's yeah, it. I was about to say, bro. They they know where their bread is buttered, and they're there for the paycheck, which is fine. You know, yeah, like don't think of this is why we're here because we believe in it. Now you can say that we wouldn't keep this job if we didn't believe in what was going on. We'd walk away, but you can't say this is why we're here, and that's just part of the phoniness in this whole thing. And that's that's why what the first thing that 
moneymaker put out by himself without Ebony was so much better. It was just like a straightforward thing. Well, well, I think the whole offer is stupid, and I don't think Chris came up with this himself. I think that this is something that Phil Nagy came up with and had Chris uh, put this out, and then they quickly thought better of it and had Ebony do it with him in what they thought was kind of like more friendly conversational fashion. But before I analyze this further, let's hear the final 20 seconds. Yep. get you involved. All right, guys, thank you very much. $100,000, first person to create a bot. If you have any questions, reach out to one of us on social media or any of the team pros. We're always pretty responsive, or we try to be as much as possible. Hope you guys have a happy new year, and thanks for your time. Bye, everyone. This went over terribly. This went over even worse than the Phil Nagy Christmas poem, which I didn't think was possible to eclipse, but they managed it. So this, this was not something received well. Even though Chris Moneymaker was half of the conversation here, and he is well-liked. He continues to be well-liked ever since he won the main event in 2003. So this guy has been around for over 20 years, has a good reputation, and yet he was getting bashed pretty hard, and the whole thing was getting bashed pretty hard, and ACR is getting bashed pretty hard, and rightfully so, because this was a dumb idea. So before I even get into the problems with this which are not my original thoughts because everybody else is expressing the same thing on twitter but i'll say it anyway truff they're they're there for the good of the community that's the only reason they're there come on come on don't be so harsh on these people yeah so evany kenny she wasn't a good choice for this first of all like let's just forget what they said here let's forget the content of what they said just if you're going to come out with a statement like this, basically saying, we don't have bots, here's how we're going to show it, whatever way you're going to do that, you don't bring out Ebony Kenny. Now, Ebony Kenny might be marketable in certain ways. I'm not saying she's not. But just because someone is marketable enough to hire as an ambassador doesn't mean that they're the right person to bring out when your site is currently embroiled in a controversy. The one you want to bring out when that's happening, is either the CEO or, if you're going to have an ambassador come out, someone who is trusted, someone who people believe is a serious person who is consistent, who is trustworthy, who is no-nonsense, who is believable. Yeah, or the head of cybersecurity, assuming that, uh, you know, he can reasonably well relate to people or yeah i agree with you like someone that can actually convey something of value not just saccharin we're here for the community comments you know yeah and the person themselves need to have the reputation of someone that you're gonna trust that way and chris moneymaker while he's not technical at all and while he probably can't offer much from the standpoint of content regarding why you should trust them at least he has a reputation to where you can trust him But Ebony Kenny does not. She is not known as a serious or consistent person. She just isn't. She's been all over the place. She's been involved in a lot of drama. She's contradicted herself a lot. Might I remind you of what happened in 2022? Ebony again repeated these allegations that Daniel Negreanu had sexually harassed her at the table back in 2008, and that she was so disturbed by the way Negranu sexually harassed her. And by the way, how did he do it? Did he say anything? No. Did he grab her in any way? No. He did it with his eyes. 
<laughs> he sexually harassed her with his eyes, but, but it, it goes beyond that. She said that she was so uncomfortable with the way Negroni was staring at her that she couldn't wait to bust from a 10K event. And this is back in 08 when she had significantly less money than today. So she was happy to bust a 10K event just to get away from Negranu the Leerer the staring at her. It was just worth throwing away 10K to get away from the guy. That was her story. And she told this in the late 2010s on a forum post. And then she repeated it again in 2022. Well, finally, in 2022, Daniel had enough. So Daniel actually released a video where he gave his rebuttal, and it was a very convincing rebuttal. We've talked about it before on the show. We talked about it back in September of 2022. And Daniel showed something very, very much exonerating him. He showed an interview. This is like a written interview where the interviewer asked her questions and she gave answers. It was from 2014, so six years after this alleged sexual harassment with his eyes incident that made her so uncomfortable she was happy to bust a 10K event. They asked her, who is your favorite poker player? And her answer was Daniel Negreanu. And she went on to say that she just loves everything about him and he has a great energy to him. So wait a minute. So in 2014, he was her favorite poker player and he had a great energy to him. And then years after that, she's traumatized about something that happened back in 08. What did she like time travel back to 08 and become retroactively outraged? Like, how does that even work? Multiple levels of irony here, Druff. I mean, (laughs) first of all, and, and I don't begrudge this, but we all have to acknowledge that um, attractive people, especially attractive women, but also attractive men to some extent or another, uh, it's a double-edged sword. Like, you'll get attention, but that attention will also open up opportunities for you. Um, I think they're the, the very attention she's decrying is also the reason she has a job as an ambassador there, or at least partly. Yes. You know? um, and the other kind of irony is uh, people like Negranu if he took her attitude, like he would be furious at just about everybody. I've been to numerous WSOPs or other places where he's been around, and people will walk by and stare at him all the time. Right. You know, he's like, oh, <laughs> Daniel, you know, I know this guy. Can, can you imagine if he took the that same attitude? I mean, yes. But, but imagine, like, even if she mistook the quote staring to then say six years later that he's her favorite player and he has great energy, how after that can she believe that she was traumatized by it? Like, the reverse would make more sense. The reverse, like, if she at first is very traumatized by it and then gets over it over the years or gets to think better of him. But but how do you go from in 08 being traumatized and 14 then thinking that, that he's a great guy and has a great energy and is your actual favorite player of anyone to then later in the decade with nothing happening in between being traumatized about 08 all over again. It makes no sense. And and so I think she had forgotten that she did that interview because the reason she was saying this stuff is she was always jumping on the bandwagon when people were criticizing Negranu about this or that, usually because of something he tweeted that was controversial. And uh, and then she would jump over him like from a feminist perspective. And so then she would tell this story to get attention. I think she forgot that she did that that 14 interview that contradicted all this. So Negranu presented all of this in a response video and look, it made her look really bad. It made her look like a liar. It made her look like someone who's just creating drama and making false allegations for the sake of attention. 
And it's not just this. It's just been one thing after another where it just seems like she's just very self-centered and just always wants attention and just it's just always very sanctimonious. I just she's just always kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and she doesn't care for me very much either. I'll, I'll tell you that. But uh, <laughs> th- th- it's it's really been because of my criticism. She didn't really know me before this. It wasn't like she's someone who's been bashing me, and I'm finding an excuse to bash her. Like she didn't really know me or say anything about me. I I just kind of like th- these things just really put me off, especially for, for whatever reason. Like seeing this Negranu stuff, just this plus another thing. Uh, she went on an interview with Joey Ingram on Joey's show. And I guess the two of them had dated at some point, so there's already some awkwardness there. But she also terminated the interview abruptly because a moderator in the chat room, a female, by the way, a female moderator in the chat room said something like that women shouldn't be bitches to each other. Not talking about Ebony, just kind of just in general that she wants to see all women in poker get along better and she hates seeing one woman be a bitch to another. And this is a woman saying this. So, Ebony terminated the interview with Joey because that moderator used the word bitches in chat. And then guess what comes out? Ebony referred to her fans in the past as, quote, the bad bitches. <laughs> so, it's just contradiction after contradiction like that. Just always like this well, it, feigned no, it surprises outrage. surprises me, though, Druff. Like, it, you know, it, it is definitely true that, that women will get sometimes unwanted attention from men. But I'll tell you what, you know, ask any woman, they get a lot of the real grief they do get from other women, you know. Um, but it sounds like Ebony has um, house cat syndrome. Do you know what that is? No, I've never heard of that. So just your average house cat is entirely unaware of and contemptuous of the very system that keeps them alive. You know what I mean? And that's sort of her attitude towards the attention that she's getting. You know, she's like, she's unaware and contemptuous of all the attention that she's getting is what is giving her a job. That's actually a very good description comparison. I will uh, give you credit there. Yeah, so with this and and just all the other just kind of dramatic stuff she's been involved with people don't look at her as like a serious person they don't look at her as someone who tells it like it is that is consistent that you can trust she's just kind of all over the place and as i said i can understand why she can be marketable as a site pro or site ambassador but not in this spot like like i'll give another example a male example now he's not a person who's representing any poker site. But let's take Jean Robert Balland, okay? He's someone people find interesting. He's someone who would be marketable if he were a site pro. He would be someone that might get signed if he were interested in that. But would he be someone you'd ever trust? No, because he's had a reputation for a long time of, of you know, just kind of being a, a little bit of a shifty guy. So, like... He's not the type you're going to want to listen to as a trustworthy voice. He's someone you'll want to watch as an entertaining person and someone who's interesting to see play poker and his antics at the table, but he's not someone you want assuring you that a site is a safe place to play. So there's certain people in the poker community who may be marketable but aren't appropriate for a serious message about why a site is trustworthy. So that's why she was a terrible choice there, and 
when I say things like this, that Ebony just is not a serious and consistent person. Everyone just kind of gets it. Like anyone who's familiar with her goes, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel too. Because she isn't. Like that's, that's the point. Like the whole thing with Negroni was a perfect illustration of this. It's just not consistent. It's just not serious. It just seems to be dramatic. That's not who should be delivering this message. But let's get past that. The more important thing than harping over Ebony Kenny being one of the people delivering the message, which I still felt was a mistake, but that's not the most important thing here. The most important thing here is that the entire offer is very weird and not good, especially from a PR standpoint. So let's think about this. First of all, Chris is not making this offer on his own dime, nor is Ebony. This is being done on behalf of the company. This is going to be ACR's money. This 100 k that they'll pay is coming from ACR. And presumably the idea for this came from Phil Nagy, or at the very least he signed off on it. So uh, th- this is basically just them being company spokesmen. I yeah, both Ebony and Chris are spokesbabes right here. Yes, or spokespeople, shall I say, since we've got to be politically correct here. We're going to go with spokesbabes. Chris will like it. Yes. It'll be all right. Okay. I guess he won't be offended. So anyway, uh, they're, they're being the spokesbabes here for ACR. And they're offering people the free, unrestricted opportunity to cheat with bots, with zero consequence if caught. They even made sure you understood this, that you can try to run this bot, and if you can get away with it for 5,000 hands without being caught, the first person who can do it will get 100 k and a job at, at WPN. So what does that mean? That means that they're actually giving people permission, and not just one person, like whoever wants to try this. It's a race to see who can get to 5,000 bot hands undetected. And so what about the people playing against those bots? They get cheated. Tough luck. Like that's, that's the first big problem, is they're actually offering people the ability to go on there and cheat with bots and not even get banned. They said, we won't do anything to you. Just, just try to show us. We won't do anything. That's I have the, a serious question related to this, and I just don't know enough about the economy, but it, assuming you can make a bot that performs well on there, is 100K actually even worth it? Like, do you have any concept of that? In other words, could they make significantly more money running the bot themselves and just taking the profits or selling the bots to other people? Yes, that, that's the second problem. Because this reminds me of, I, I'm involved in the InfoSec world uh, a decent bit, and companies will give out bug bounties for finding exploits and this, that, and the other thing. But if you wanted to go dark hat, you'll make way more money by selling or using these exploits rather than just taking them up on that, that bounty program. Right, and the same situation is going on here. With that bot ring that was posted about on 2 Plus 2 by this Tyler RM guy, that he calculated that the bot ring in the past eight years made $10 million, which is $1.25 million a year on average. Right. No one's so going to give away... your 100K and stuff it up your ass. Yeah. That's the kind of money that... Right. No one's going to give away their secrets for 100K there if this thing's been printing $1.25 million a year. And... And some people just make the bots and then sell them. Yes. So in that way, they get money from it and don't expose themselves to the potential risk of running the bots themselves. Yeah. So so this is a, a problem in more than one way. There, But the people were especially outraged that they're inviting anyone who wants to attempt to cheat on there using bots and basically have a get-out-of-jail-free card if they get caught. And in fact, get $100,000 if they don't get caught, <laughs> if they're the first ones to do it. So as you can imagine, this is not going over well. And 
then there's also some logistical questions. Like, how do you prove you were actually running a bot for all 5,000 hands? What, what if someone just plays normally as themselves and then claims it was a bot? Or what if they have a bot play some of the hands and then they play themselves to throw off the detection? And then they say, okay, here's my bot with 5,000 hands. Like, how do you prove the bot played all 5,000 hands? You have to have a video of the whole thing. Like, like how exactly do you prove it? They don't Those specify. logistics make it sound like it could be in large part a PR move. You know? Yeah, it, it could be. It actually, I wonder if it could backfire. For some reason, I thought of, uh, you remember that My Pillow guy, the Mike Lindell guy? Yes. So he, he claimed, he's been claiming for forever that, uh, you know, there was election fraud in the 2020 election or whatever. And he put up $5 million and said, hey, if anyone can prove how this is wrong, you know. And some guy, shortly thereafter, proved it, went to court, sued him, and got a judgment for the $5 million. Like, I wonder how quickly this money will be claimed. Be interesting. Yeah, especially if someone just buys a bot yeah, and just runs it yeah. and then just says, okay, here's my 5,000 hands, give it right. to me. And right, they could just buy, buy a bot that someone else already made and maybe has been using somewhere, run it for the 5K hands, video record it, say, all right, give me the 100K and the job, you know? Right, yeah, That's this has a lot of issues to it. So this didn't go over well, and... People responded very negatively here to the whole thing. Even people who were saying, look, Chris, we like you, but you messed this one up. <laughs> what are you doing here? Some people are telling Chris he needs to quit. What, you know, This is crazy. And I didn't see a single positive comment here in the responses. Uh, Beiruzi wrote, uh, 2016, more rake is better, in reference to something Negreanu once said. 2024, more bots is better. Uh, Katie Stone wrote, this is terrible. I'm so sorry, Ebony and Chris. This is not really fair to either of you, whether you see it or not. What a terrible, terrible way for a company to handle this. My heart is breaking for you both. Lee Bradbury, a listener to this show, wrote, I think another poem would have sufficed. (laughs) That is true. Then person named brian eck wrote wow first of all you're asking people to cheat for five thousand hands unreal second of all i for one feel the bot problem is internal only way they could keep going we keep hearing that that's definitely not something they want people believing i don't think it's true but this is a rumor that's been going around dennis sanchez wrote many problems not just one i've tried numerous times letting you guys know the glitch issues and many other issues i've encountered no one gives a hoot by the way you guys just contradicted yourselves because you've had bot issues in the past and refunded players so yeah that's a good point so they're going on and on about oh we don't think we have bot issues we think this is overblown i bet you can't run a bot for five thousand hands without getting caught we'll give you 100k if you can and then this dennis sanchez guy is saying hey wait a minute I've gotten refunds before because bots were caught here. So what do you mean you don't have a bot issue? You obviously do because you've caught them. And in fact, I've seen that webpage where they were exposing the bots they were catching for a few weeks before they gave up on that. So what do they mean there's no bot problem? They, they can try to claim that this Tyler RM guy with his $10 million bot farm that he has discovered is exaggerating. I'm not saying he is or isn't, but I'm just saying they can claim that Tyler RM has some numbers that are wrong here and it's not $10 million, But they can't say we just don't have a bot problem. Like, clearly they do. They've even admitted it themselves in the past. Someone named Gizmo Money said, I'm lost here. So you're encouraging people to make a bot and try to have it run on WPN? Did I get this right? How is this the right direction? I think 2024 is not only the time to look at your possible security problem, but also your obvious PR problem. I say this as a fan. 
Yeah, they, they do have an obvious PR problem. I mean, just in two weeks, they first put out the terrible poem when they're having the major server issues and people's monies are stuck. And then in two, just like two weeks later, they put out this weird thing, which is encouraging people to run bots on there without any consequence. And I see how this happened, at least the second part. I think they didn't bother to stop and just consider what they're really asking people to do. I think it was along the lines of, okay, this isn't nearly as bad as everyone's saying, and if you think you can show it that this is really happening, then we'll give you a hundred grand. It's like a hundred grand challenge. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're not going to just say we don't have a big bot problem. We'll put it out there that if you can even get a bot past our security for 5,000 hands, we'll give you 100K. So they probably thought this was clever and then overlooked the obvious problems with this. But still, that's where you have a PR person who's going to stop and go, wait a minute, this isn't a good idea. You've got to run this by someone who has some sense and can think about this from a PR standpoint because it doesn't take a PR genius to look at this and say this is ridiculous and it's going to cause a lot of problems or that poem that that was inappropriate. So they do have a PR problem. This Dennis guy is right. So there's negative comment after negative comment. And you know the whole thing didn't go over well. You know the term that the kids like to use of ratioed involving Twitter? Yeah, of course. So they got ratioed. And the person who actually kind of ratioed them in a way was me. So this video now has almost 308,000 views as of the time I'm recording this show. It has 91 likes at the moment. Now, that's a bad enough ratio. 91 likes out of 300,600 views. And some of those are probably misclicks, too. (laughs) I responded, should have left up the original version from an hour ago with just Chris. Ebony has never been a sincere person, nor consistent in her behavior. Bad choice to deliver this message. My response got 9,600 views, a very small fraction of the 308K that the video got. Remember, the video got 91 likes, and my response got 93 likes. So I actually got more likes in 9,600 views than they did with 308,000 views. Oh, my. That's not good. That's not good. Just ignoring my tweet, 91 out of... 308,000. Wow. This did not go over well. I'm just not seeing any positive responses here. In all, and There's 193 responses. I'm not going to read them all, obviously, but I haven't yet run into one saying, oh, wow, that's cool. Wow, you, okay. There must not be bots here if you guys are challenging this. Or, I can't wait to try. I, I, I guess I see one or two people saying, okay, they're going to do it, but that's not really a positive response. That's just someone who's hoping to make money. So this is not going over like they thought. Now, Chris Moneymaker, I I like him. You know, I'm not friends with Chris Moneymaker. I never have been. We've gotten along. I was the one who referred him to Eric Benzamokin about the PayPal thing where he was 100% in the right. And PayPal panicked and quickly refunded Chris's money so he couldn't be part of the suit. We've talked about all that before. But I, I have nothing at all against Chris Moneymaker. 
but you know, this was a misstep, and I think he realized it. And he actually put out a message. Now, I guess he had a relative pass away. I assume it was a relative. He's going to a funeral, so he's going to be kind of out of touch for a little bit. But he wrote, I'm heading to bed. Got to get up and drive 12 hours to a funeral. We'll see where all this stands after the weekend. I'm trying to make a difference. Several people do not see it that way. I had one piece of advice I liked about a weekly or monthly community call with the people finding the supposed bots. I'm literally open to any idea to help better the site. I came to ACR because I believe in what they're doing, and I'm doing my best to be open and honest with stuff. So this is basically Chris saying that he did this under his own account, not under an ACR account. This is him basically saying, okay, this didn't land well, and I'm, I'm just trying to help here. I'm trying to find a way to solve this bot thing. Do we even know if it was Chris's or, or Ebony's idea to do this? Or I'm, I'm actually sure guessing it wasn't. It yeah, I think it was probably Phil Nagy. Right. It, it could be very well someone at the company was just like, hey, guys, you're our ambassadors. Our ambassadors we got to get ahead of this. Here's what we're going to do. And they're, they're probably like, you know, all right, tell us what you want to do, you know? Yeah, I think that's what happened, especially because Phil Nagy got this bad response for that christmas video with a poem so he probably thought okay i shouldn't come out again when everyone came after me two weeks ago for the christmas video so i will have yep. my ambassadors do it and i i don't know why the last minute decision to delete the chris video and redo it with chris and ebony together but truthfully even if it's just chris it would have gotten a bad response because it was the message that people oh, didn't yeah, like for sure but and, uh, and just as there's a a double-edged sword for like we're talking about before about you know women being attractive and the opportunities they can get if you're an ambassador the the downside to it is that um you know when something like this happens you you take the hits yes. <laughs> you're on the front line yes you know, it is what it is so you got so you got to understand that that is part of your job unfortunately so i think chris was kind of shaken by this that he saw the overwhelmingly negative response to what he put out there so he, he was basically saying okay you know you guys want to have some suggestions on how we can solve this bot issue, I'm open to it. And he even mentioned a weekly or monthly call with people who routinely find the bots to help advise them so so they don't feel like they're not being heard. Because it is true that people would complain about these bots to support, and it would basically be ignored. So yep. he, he said he is open to the idea to help better the site. And he said, I came to ACR to believe in... I came to ACR because I believe in what they're doing, and I'm doing my best to be open and honest with stuff. So... If you remember, he was with Poker Stars for many, many, many years. And then finally one day he was gone. And I was guessing that was because they were not a site that was aimed at U.S. players, except for their small sites that are aimed at certain states. So they just decided he wasn't worth paying very much money anymore. So they probably just decided to let him go at that point. And then he very quickly latched on to ACR. And I remember when Poker Stars dropped him, I said that it's very likely he's going to latch on somewhere else because he's just got a name in poker, a literal name in poker that he's got a name and a story that is uh it's one of the, the few things that would cause him to be catapulted into uh the celebrity that he has been. Yeah, and it's just kinda of timeless that he it's never gonna go away, that he'll always be yep. someone who who's marketable. And so when he joined ACR, I'm sure, that, of course, the main reason was because they paid him what he wanted to be paid. Now, he also claimed that the main reason he did it was because they were not putting a 
big travel requirement upon him, whereas PokerStars was and other sites wanted him to go from place to place and play all these tournaments and make appearances and that he just wants to stay at home with his family now that he's getting older and he just didn't want to do all this traveling and ACR was the one that was most willing to just let him mainly stay at home, which is probably true. I don't think he's making that up. But uh, yeah, I'm sure he was happy with the compensation, whatever it was that he was offered, and that was probably the best that came from them. Now, I, I definitely believe that story. I mean, I I do the same thing. There are opportunities that I pass on just because I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And I do think that to him, his legacy and reputation are important, and he doesn't want to join a site that is shady and that is going to cheat people and that it's going to end up staining his reputation. I, I do believe that, and I do believe that he generally doesn't want to see people get cheated. Uh, at the same time, though, uh, ACR hasn't had a stellar reputation all this time. Now, they haven't been a lock poker or a UB or anything that's like awful, but they have had their share of controversies over time. And the bots thing has been really the biggest issue that has just dragged on for years and years and years, and they just haven't fully addressed it. And whenever they seem to be coming up with something they're going to do about it, they don't really follow through for very long. So just trying to ignore it and support or security ignoring the emails about it was not the right approach. And eventually it came to a head when this Tyler guy put together all the stats and showed this eye-popping $10 million that got taken. And now everyone's talking about it. And on the heels of the GG super user thing, now people are really riled up already coming into this. So it's kind of a perfect storm of events. So Moneymaker here seems to be saying, like, I I want you guys to know here, even if you didn't like what I put out before with this 100K offer, I really just want to find a solution to this. I want to find a way to have these bots stop. And if you guys can come up with something better, let me know. And I'm just trying to help here. So I I think he does want to see the problem solved. The question is, what is ACR really going to do? So it's one thing for Chris to want to see it solved. It's another thing for... ACR to actually do it, of, of what's necessary to solve the problem. And, like, a good start would be put the damn country locations back for each account that everyone can see. So if you do suspect someone's a bot, and then you notice that they're from Belarus or Kazakhstan or places that are known to be operating these bots, then that can add to your belief that it's true. And yeah, you'll get some false positives there, but this will help people identify them. And this is a piece of information they took away and shouldn't have taken away. And they never explained why they took it away. So things like that would go a long way, putting that type of stuff back. And then also showing a real effort with removing the bots and yes, engaging with those in the community that are taking the time to track these bots down and report them. And I can tell you, even as a non-player of ACR, that I had some disappointment personally with their security. And this is when people were coming to me in uh, 2022 and telling me about issues with money just disappearing from their accounts. These withdrawals that they didn't make to crypto wallets that weren't theirs. And ACR wasn't helping them. And people just we're feeling so helpless. Just money was disappearing. These withdrawals were being made that they didn't ask for. They weren't even getting email notifications about it. And then just the money was gone. And ACR wouldn't help, and ACR would not 
look into it. ATR wouldn't investigate. And it really took my exposure of this because I really came at this very aggressively with this show on Twitter, on the Poker Fraudler Forum. And I advocated for these people who were just not known names at all in poker. These were total no-name players, which might have been the reason they were victimized because they didn't have a voice in the community. These are people who had like 10 followers. So I gave a voice to these people and I figured out largely what was going on. And then at that point, security finally took action. But even people like this Nana Noko guy who was supposedly involved in security, you know, he didn't do anything. Like, they sat on their hands and did nothing. And the whole thing was really solved by me. I'm not saying this to brag or anything. I'm just saying that like their own security team was ignoring complaint after complaint after complaint about this when it wasn't very hard to figure out what was going on, especially when they had the ability to look into it much more than I did as someone who's an outsider with no access to their system. So it was only after I made a deal about this that they took action, closed the loophole, and and made people whole and paid them back. So when I saw that, I'm like, wow, how did that get by? How was that not like a crisis <laughs> that, the, that these accounts were being breached and withdrawals were being made? Now, some of this was carelessness on the part of the people who were victimized because this was a credential stuffing attack where they were using the same email and password on multiple sites. And then when other sites, I'm not talking about poker sites, but just other sites on the web uh, would get hacked and, and those user those email password combos would fall into the hands of hackers or sold on the dark web then bad actors were able to use this. But ACR also seemed to have some insiders who were helping out that were allowing these withdrawals to be processed without any kind of verification and without any kind of notification. And they kind of just quietly got put through. So I think it was kind of a combo of these users just using the same password everywhere and someone on the inside helping push this stuff through without the user being able to stop it. So they, they eventually put an end to all this, but only after I made a big deal about it, before everyone was just being told, nothing to see here, this is your own fault, we, we don't know what happened here, you made this withdrawal, we can't see how it wasn't you. So I remember thinking at the time, this is almost two years ago, I don't know about the security there, <laughs> it didn't seem very good to me. And this, plus all the other bot issues reported in the past, this seems to verify it. So they, they really need to be more engaging with the community and they really need to take this bot situation very seriously and not do gimmicky things like, okay, whoever can run a bot with 5,000 hands and not get caught gets $100,000. I mean, that's a stupid thing, especially because people know there's bots on there. So what are they even trying to do? Even ignoring the fact that you're giving people permission to cheat with bots, it's not like people are making unfounded allegations about bots, and they're like so outraged, like, what? What? If you could show us that we have bots, we'll pay 100000 No, it's like, like, what are they trying to say here? They, you'll, they'll catch bots within 5,000 hands? It's a weird claim they're trying to even make there, given what's already known. So that didn't land well, and you just have to wonder here, for something that seems to make a lot of money, because ACR is an active site, and it's got to be making big bucks, like, why would they not have someone in PR to look over these things? Even if not even a full-time person, just like even a contract PR person. I mean, hell, give, give me the job. I'll, uh, 
Actually, I probably wouldn't want it because then I'd have to not talk about ACR on this show. But you know, someone like me give the job to just over, just look these things over and give a neutral perspective on whether these are good moves. And by the way, I'm not someone who's just always jumping on ACR. ACR does have some haters out there. There are some people that just really hate them for whatever reason. Maybe justified reasons, maybe not. But there's some people who really hate them who just savor every moment like these and just attack, attack, attack. And I just want to remind everybody about this past summer that, or I guess it was more like the spring, that a guy came to me and I guess it wasn't directly to me, but he came to somebody who then brought him to me. But he was claiming on Twitter that ACR unfairly closed his account and took his money. And they won't respond to him and they won't give him any evidence of what he did. And he's telling this story, which on the surface sounded pretty bad and sounded like ACR screwed this guy. However, I I had some skepticism because this is one thing I hadn't heard of ACR doing, which is closing accounts and taking people's money unfairly. That that was just one allegation I had not heard about ACR. If if it was anything, it was the opposite, that they weren't doing it enough to the bots. So I asked the guy a lot of detailed questions publicly and told him to answer whether publicly or privately so I could get going with this. And he didn't answer me. So I thought, okay, this guy's full of crap. This guy is someone who probably was using bots or was multi-accounting or was doing something else that was unethical or cheating and got caught and got his money confiscated and then decided to cry foul on Twitter, which I've seen before. I've seen people cry foul on Twitter or on 2 plus 2 when they get caught misbehaving on a site and want their money back. And of course, I have no sympathy for those people. If you cheat and get caught and then you get your money confiscated, too bad. In fact, that's what should happen. So when this guy would not answer my questions, despite supposedly being so distraught about this and wanting it solved, when he wouldn't answer questions when I'm hearing, like I'm right there volunteering to help him for free, I thought, okay, high chance this guy is full of shit and I never mentioned it. Never even brought it up on this show, just dropped it immediately because I thought ACR was probably correct. Well, little did I know that behind the scenes, they were having a discussion about me at ACR, that they were concerned that I was going to take up for this guy's cause. And apparently Chris Moneymaker had said that he didn't think that I was going to be fooled by it, but the, they actually came up with a kind of like a plan of action of how to respond to me if I went to bat for this guy. But I never did. And the reason I know about this is on Twitter Spaces in the summer, Rob Kuhn, who's one of their pros, was on a Spaces there, and he said, well, while I have you here, I want to ask you, why are you taking up for this guy? Because we had a lot of evidence on him, and had you said anything, it would have looked really bad for you. But why are you taking up for him? And I said, I wasn't taking up for him. (laughs) I said, I gave him an opportunity to answer questions for me about it, and he wouldn't answer the questions, and I figured he was full of crap and decided I'm not going to help. And then I said, look, I, I have nothing against ACR, and I wasn't looking to trash you guys. And when it seemed like this guy was being evasive, that I thought you guys were probably correct. And he said, yeah, well, we were correct. You know, if you had done this, you would, you would have looked foolish. And I said, well, that's why I didn't do it, because <laughs> I don't want to look foolish, and I don't want to go after you guys when you've made a good account closure. So he's like, oh, okay, well, that, that's good to know. <laughs> so it was funny, though, because they were kind of worried that I was going to jump on them. And I, like, there was just a mistaken impression that I'm just going to always take up for the player here. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to take up for the player if the player looks shady. If I, if I can't get 
answers that make sense as to how the player was victimized, I'm going to assume he wasn't victimized. Because if you get screwed, if you get your money taken and someone offers to help, you're going to want to tell them everything. You're going to want to just be very, very open and honest with the whole thing. And if you're not, if you're trying to hide things or refusing to answer questions, it usually means that you were shady there and you had a lot of wrongdoing that caused the unfortunate fate of your account. So I tell this story just to show you guys that I'm not looking for any excuse to bash ACR. And you'll see I'm not an ACR hater, but look, the bottom line is here, they're, they're not taking the bot thing seriously. They haven't for a long time. And they've made some PR blunders lately. So hopefully they can recover. There's good things about ACR, the, aside from when the cashier is down, which I think happened earlier today. Oh, here's another thing. Someone who listens to this show contacted me privately today and mentioned about how the cashier was down. The cashier actually got like a file not found page, which is pretty disturbing. So that person said, oh, man, I, I wish I had taken my money out already. Stupid me for trying to ride this out. I guess this money's lost. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I actually think this is going to be okay. I actually think they're not going down. In fact, I'd be very surprised if they did. I think this is just one of their many technical issues that they have and that they'll resolve it and then you'll be able to withdraw if you want. So one thing I can say for ACR is they do pay out. They pay out. They pay out quickly, except when they're having issues. And I don't think they're broke. And I don't see them going down anytime soon. So they're definitely not one of these sites that's like a no-pay site. They pay very quickly. That's good. And when they are having issues like the cashier being down or money being stuck, you should attribute this more to incompetence than anything that is malicious. So, I mean, it's better to have incompetence than malice, but neither is all that good. <laughs> you know, So you, you got to be honest about what they are and aren't. That's why I don't just jump on every conspiracy theory about ACR this, ACR that. They're, you know, they're awful, they're evil. I, I don't think that. I just think they are incompetent with a lot of things, and I think their PR has been horrible lately. But at the same time, I don't think they're trying to be horrible. And I, I don't think that they're trying to steal from people. I just think that they have not handled a lot of these things well. And in fact, I kind of have that same feeling about GG Poker. So it's kind of the same feeling about both sites I have here. And I want people to understand that. There's sites that I've really hated that have come at very hard, like Lock Poker, for example. But I don't see ACR or GG in that way at all. But at the same time, they've got to handle things properly when they mess up. Hopefully these sites, both ACR and GG, get their act together. And if they don't, then online poker is just going to take more and more of a beating in general, and people are going to trust it less and less. So if you want online poker to continue, you need to have operators that are giving people faith in the whole industry, not ones that make people doubt everything. So if you have people think that bots are taking all the money out of the economy and people are finding ways to hack the client of the biggest online poker site in the world and steal money that way, that does not bring out a lot of feelings of faith in these sites that you can play them and win. When you have people like Alex Foxen even coming out and saying, hey, I, I don't trust online poker, I can't play there, it's not a good look. And when these things happen, you, you just have to approach it a different way. You have to approach it with honesty, with transparency, and in a way that players will feel like it's a refreshing approach. It's an approach where they feel good about patronizing the site. If you 
do it with an evasive approach or with gimmickry, it's just going to get everyone mad. And we're seeing that time and time again. So anyway, uh, let me move on here. Now that we're past the uh, GG and ACR topics. See, those are the pretty recent topics here. Even though we haven't done the show in ages, which, uh, at least the two big topics are recent. So I don't feel as stupid for not doing it for a while. I'm getting more complaints that the radio page isn't working. That's not good. I thought I fixed it. Damn it. All right, we're going to have to work. It's a new logo. <laughs> I guess I should explain the new logo. I don't know if it'll still be there by the time you guys take a look, but uh, Poker Fraudler does have a new logo. Not on the podcasting apps or anything. That's the same logo. But if you go to PokerFraudler.com and look in the top left, there used to be like a skull and crossbones in yellow that's been there since the beginning. Now you will see what looks like Mickey Mouse, but I, I can't stress this enough, is actually Steamboat Willie. And you'll see, you'll see it says Poker Fraudler on top. And I know I won't get sued by Disney because this is now in public domain, that image. The Steamboat Willie image, which is the first appearance ever of the character now known as Mickey Mouse. That cartoon finally fell into the public domain for being 95 years old. So as of January 1st, 2024, it was in the public domain. This almost happened... After a whole lot of extensions, it's not supposed to be no 95 years. Well, right. I was about to say, like, in in 04, this was supposed to happen for after 75 years, and Disney kept fighting it. So finally, this has gone to the public domain after 95 years. But yet, don't think that you can just start using Mickey Mouse in whatever way you feel like and get away with it. Like, if you're small time, you probably can. But anything beyond a very small operation... Disney is going to threaten lawsuits and maybe even sue people because what's in public domain is just Steamboat Willie, not Mickey Mouse. So you can't call him Mickey Mouse. You can't use him in any way that Mickey Mouse was used. And even though they look basically identical, you basically only have access to the Steamboat Willie character as depicted in that very early cartoon from 95 years ago. And if you go anything beyond that, then Disney claims they're going to take action. Now, fortunately, on Poker Fraud Alert, all I have done is taken just the direct image of Steamboat Willie and just written Poker Fraud Alert on top. So that's fine, because I'm taking what is now a non-copyrighted image and just stamping Poker Fraud Alert on it. So they cannot claim that I've done anything that would allow them to win a lawsuit against me. So that is the current Poker Fraud Alert logo, which was placed up there on January 1st in what some people call Steamboat Willie Day. Now, will that be the permanent logo? Well, I'd like people to think that, but I will tell you guys here on radio, the radio audience I'll be truthful with, it's not going to be. I will put back the original logo eventually. When, I don't know, but I wanted people to really believe <laughs> that was the new logo. I even posted on the forum a new logo, and then it's just up there. I didn't say it's temporary. Now, what actually was supposed to be temporary, so maybe it will stay, the Poker Fraud Alert Skull and Crossbones logo was a temporary logo, which has been there for now almost 12 years until I just took it down. And someone asked me in the forum, who made this? And the answer, I don't know if I've ever said this before, the answer is actually Benjamin's mom made this. 
and it was made very quickly and very hastily because I started Poker Fraud Alert very quickly and hastily because I was working on putting up a forum called Dandruff Poker. And on March 2nd, 2012, I just decided abruptly, no, that's a stupid theme. I don't want it to be about me. I, I want the site to have a better theme to it. So I just thought up Poker Fraud Alert, and I checked if Poker Fraud Alert existed already, and it didn't. So I registered the domain, and on the same day, I slapped up the form. So that's how close to ready the whole thing was. So it was really on the last day that I was about to put it up, I decided not to put it up on dandruffpoker.com and put it up on pokerfraudalert.com, which I bought that exact day. And you could look at the domain history to see that's true. You can see the first post on Poker Fraud Alert was the same day I registered the domain. The problem was I obviously had no time to create a logo for the site. So when I told Benjamin's mom about this, and I said, that's too bad I don't have a logo, she actually went and designed a logo as I was putting everything up. Just did it very quickly. And said, okay, well, here's the logo. I did it quickly. Yeah, it may not be the best, but here it is. You can put it up for now. And so we put that up. It, it ended up being the logo here for 12 years. And I, I guess that's what's going to come back when Steamboat Willie goes down. Well, if you think the show is missing some topics, you're right. Because we actually did all of them, but it took way too long for me to be able to edit this whole thing into one episode, as has been the case a lot lately. So what I've done here, of course, is split it into two parts. So you're going to hear part one here, and then part two will be released soon enough. Wanted to make sure to get the GG Poker and the ACR topics in part one, which we did first anyway, but I found it was important to do this part one and get that out because those are topics which are very timely. If I were to wait much longer, then they might be obsolete. So I wanted to get those parts up and then the rest of the show, which should be a bit longer than this part, will be released sometime within the next few days. Thank you again for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Always uh, appreciate that we have an audience here. Appreciate that there's people who want to listen to what I have to say. Because if there were not, then I just wouldn't do the show. Because I can talk to myself without having to sit at a computer and research topics beforehand. I can just talk to myself anytime. This is actually being recorded after, like well after we completed the show. This is being plopped in the middle right after I edited it. So it's going to sound like I did this all at once, but this is actually a few days later. Right now. Right now as I'm recording this, this is days later. And the next time when you get to part two, the intro to the show is going to be even later than this one. It all jumbles together so it seems like it's all done in order, but it's not. It's just like recording a sitcom where a lot of times these scenes are shot out of order. You don't even realize that when you're watching. Well, that is all for part one. Check out part two in a few days. And thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Shalom for now.